Yeah, we loved it last so. And this is the podcast to the show. You can listen to or know. Welcome to our Ted Lasso talk, the Tedcast. Welcome, all Greyhound fans. Welcome, all you sinners from the dog track and all the AFC Richmond fans around the world. It's the Lasso way around these parts with Coach Coach and Boss. Without further ado, Coach Castleton. I'm your host, Coach Castleton. And with me, are all, as always, are Coach Bishop. What's good? And, of course, our boss, Emily Chambers. Robbie Williams is a punk. <laughs> okay. All right. We're going to find out exactly how much of a punk Robbie Williams is as we discuss Season 1, Episode 4 of the Ted Lasso Show. It is called For the Children, written by Jamie Lee and directed by Tom Marshall. Whew. How does this episode stack up, guys, to the uh, the first three? Um, I think... Three and four together are maybe my favorite episodes, although eight and nine are giving it a run for its money. Um, I feel like this is where it became less. Here is Ted Lasso and he's doing these funny things and we should all think this is very amusing and started to get a little bit more into the emotional depth of what he was doing exactly. So I loved it. I thought it was great. Coach Bishop, did you have any thoughts on this episode in particular? I am loving what you added to my life there, boss, and the idea of combining three and four. I mean, I love all the episodes so much, but those are definitely um, my, my battling to be my favorite. So now everybody can settle down and uh, have a seat. There's no reason to be pushing back <laughs> furniture, guys. You can both be our favorites now. Coach said, uh, boss said it's all set. It's official. If boss says it, it's official. So we, we, we open up this episode with uh, Richmond getting booed and um, coming off a 2-0 loss. Sam apologizes to Jamie about a, a bad cross he made. And Jamie, Jamie offers him some advice, which was, do you guys remember what the advice was? Uh, uh, boss, you remember what it was? I do. And I should have looked up the name. But what he said was uh, to get a time machine. And go back to right before your mom was about to fuck a sad little man with no athletic talent. Have it take you to Brazil and drop you on to, and I'm missing the name. Maradona. Yeah, Maradona. Yeah. There we go. I, I, I'm, I'm mostly here for the pop culture references. Ar Argentina, too. Oh, damn it. All right. Well. Yeah, no, no, not Brazil. Not Brazil. That's the, them's fighting words. I, I'm We're talking about Maradona. I, I believe that 100%. I mean, it's the same way that when people confuse Third Eye Blind and Matchbox 20, I pull my knives out. I get it. That's fine. Yeah. Well, that's. <laughs> well, one is certainly more justified than the other. Argentina and Brazil. You think episode three and four got into it? <laughs> <laughs> So Jamie uh, is is horrific to Sam and and literally talk. You know Sam is so good natured, such a good dude. Gotta love Sam. Side note, love Sam. And um, Jamie makes a joke about like mother jokes. I I don't know if they're still if it's still um, if the youth of today still lean on mother jokes as insult fodder. But uh, that's that's pretty low, I think. Um, this also, it wasn't a joke, though, coach. I think that's part. Part of it is like you between friends. If they were if that's that's a brand of mother joke. Uh, this was definitely not a joke. 
Okay. It was it was no, ridiculous right. and impossible, it, but it was not a joke. It wasn't even not a joke. It was a uh, your dad is not worthy of being your dad because if he were, then you would be a better soccer player. Like that's a pretty low blow, all things considered. Your your father is not good enough. I hope we've moved past mother joke. You know, when I was growing up in the in the eighties and in uh, New England. You could say your mother, like you could just say your mother, and that's the insult. Like that would be <laughs> something that would get you punched. Like all you would have to say is your mother. Oh yeah, yeah, your mother, and then someone would punch you. That's just a punch invite. So anyway, the um, the the guys get into it a little bit. Roy stands up for Sam. He and Jamie lock horns like Rams, which I thought was interesting. I don't know if that's a soccer thing. I'm trying to figure out where. Do you guys, did that have any, that resonate for you at all when they put their foreheads together and started pressing? I was like, what is, I don't even know what the, like for football players, you have a mask and they're, they're always jawing, they right. put their face mask. But I was like, what is the head to head thing? It's interesting. It, it felt like it definitely, I didn't recognize it personally, but I recognized what it was and it was the chip on the shoulder. It was the, you know what I mean? Like it definitely had that vibe. I just assume, I just chalked it up to like Ted Lasso. I don't get it all the time. Um, but yeah, it was definitely that kind of like touch me kind of, th- you know, touch me and we're fighting kind of deal. Right. So either I have to beat up an old man or I have to let an old man beat me up. Well, in, right. in soccer, you're not allowed to use your hands. So it had to be all heads. They, That's right. That's so the, the, great. The private school schoolmasters win out in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, who invented soccer. Okay. So what is the first rule of Ted's Fight Club? No Fight Club. No Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> Coach Beard taking it up like a cracking octave. It's great. Um, so then we get, uh, you know, uh, the call me old one more time from Roy. And and Jamie looks at, at Ted. Uh, yes. You remember, Ted yes. shakes him off, just waves him off. Like, no, no, no. Yes. Please don't. Please don't do it. And he says, sorry, granddad. And that's it. How we, they, the whole locker room explodes. It's a team divided. And um, that's how we start out. A team divided, sharks and jets, little West Side Story throwback reference. I really enjoyed the next beat, which was Rebecca opening up the window and yelling at Coach Beard. And do you guys remember what she yelled at him for, Coach? Coach Beard, for dinner tonight, it's either chicken or steak. You can't tick both, which I just <laughs> thought was so funny. Just ridiculous. Like, what a child in that mo- Like, just like that, like, maybe I can get two dinners out of this. It's just it's hilarious. so American. Yeah, no, I love it. It's like the most American choice. You could just put up like a thumbprint of a flag next to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, I love when Ted's like busted and she's like, and Coach Lasso or what did she say Ted I forget she called him he's like uh oh and this is the plus one conversation and and uh, we find out that Coach Beard has a date mm-hmm. which is nice a little interesting plot thickens on Coach Beard boss's boss's heart flutters a little bit when she hears that news I think. correct <laughs> and um, and then we find out that. Um, uh, Ted needs a plus one. He looks at, at Nate and he says, hey, are you available tonight? And what does Nate say? You guys remember? I'm available every night. I'm available every night. <laughs> I'm available every night. I'm available <laughs> every night. Every night. When I'm not m- making decorative boxes with my niece. <laughs> 
and I'm not the understudy in West Side Story and in, in all boys school, I am available. So he, can we he talk is, about just quickly? I have to say, I love that he wasn't even the, the understudy for Maria. Like that is just a piece of writing that just, again, like just these little gems. I feel they left there just for me, but that he's the understudy, the understudy for <laughs> Anita is just, <laughs> oh my God, just brilliant. Yeah, I I love that. I love that uh, nobody better than I that Nate would know West Side Story as well as Beard and La- Ted would. But that when he said I was the understudy as Anita, then they kind of like, well, you're going to have to explain that a little bit more. We're fine with you being into musical theater, but if you're going to understudy for Anita, we're going to need some clarification. Right. I think also just to step back a quick second, because there were two things that Rebecca did in the previous scene and in this scene that I love so much. Number one, she is a great yeller. Like that is a mm-hmm. that is an incredible yelling You're right. voice. You're right. It's actually true. It's it not it like somehow both incredibly powerful and intimidating, and also very funny. So good on you for that, Rebecca. The scene right before this, though, is when she's figuring out all the table settings for the gala that night, and I think it might be the first time that we see her doing work related to the job. Like she does a lot of scheming that we've seen before, but this is really the first time where she is planning something and putting it together and getting into the details on it. So I thought that that was an interesting beat that they had her do. Boss, off of what you said about her yelling to, I think the work thing is also very interesting, but you can't say so many interesting things because I, I, you know, I get lost there. Um, but no, I think that her, the way she's yelling feels very much like a mom mm-hmm. yelling like out to her kids. And now that it's like, once you said what she, you said about her yelling voice, I thought like that's so the dynamic and like they're out in the backyard essentially playing mm-hmm. and she calls from inside like, you know, essentially what are we going to have for dinner? Like, it's actually a very family. It, there's a there's a family vibe there that I hadn't picked up on until you mentioned the yelling voice. I think that's a. Uh, Pretty interesting. Well, I think that that's a, a really good point because she ends this interaction after shouting out the window at them instead of just going down to the pitch or sending somebody else or an email or any of the other ways, shouting out of right. the window at them. She ends it by saying, Beard, you're having the chicken. And he just gives her the thumbs yes. up. Yes. 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 She decides for him. Yeah. No, that was really good. Yeah. No, there's a there's a quality to it that I like that she's above them mm-hmm. and, and that there's a status thing it's a lot like this this podcast where we have two coaches and a boss mm-hmm. <laughs> and the two coaches live in constant fear of the boss i think that's accurate valid yeah so so she decides chicken and now we're with ted in her office and uh she's frenetically getting ready for the gala and you know she does this thing where she's looking through the dresses and this is like a huge uh, this is one of those moments where i think you know, the, the, I'm guessing an overwhelming majority of the watchers of this show are, are male. I hope that's not true. I really hope it's not true. I'd love to see, I not like Apple's going to publicize those demos, but <laughs> I think this is the type of simple decision that your average man would look, look past and be like, um, yeah, whatever, just like pick one. Whereas like a, a woman going to a gala that she's hosting in the absence mm-hmm. of her ex-husband, she used to host with her mm-hmm. ex-husband for the first time, looking at this rack of dresses, 
I like even just talking about it now, my my I think my skin starts to tighten. Like I just got shot with <laughs> Botox because that feels enormous to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I know that it's sort of a trope and it's an easy go-to for any sitcom, but having the woman trying to decide what she's gonna wear for an evening is pretty accurate. Uh, I was, and, and, and not just any evening, though. Uh, not any evening, but on any evening. I actually, um, uh, uh, Friday night, we were recording on a Monday, early afternoonish, And on Friday night, I was going to hang out at a friend's place with two of my friends. And it took me 20, 30 minutes to figure out what I was going to wear because I wanted something comfortable, but still cute. But I didn't want to be overly dressed because we were just like... I was just going to a friend's place and it took me that long. I can't imagine if you were going to be presenting the fundraising event of the year for your team by yourself for the first time, how much you would need to pre-plan that. I mean, like for dudes, one of my favorite tweets in the pandemic was somebody, I forget who, I wish I could credit them, was somebody, some guy saying, when I take off my athletic shorts and put on my cargo shorts, you know it's time for business. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, yeah. God damn, that is so accurate. I love it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was just for you going to see friends. Yeah. And you just think of like the okay, so okay, and this will come back. We're gonna we're gonna jump into this later. She chooses the dress she that she likes. And and she her self-doubt kicks in and she's like, Oh, I don't think I can I forget exactly the words. I should have written them down. She's like, I don't think I can pull that off anymore, or something like that. Do you guys remember what she said? I don't remember off the top of my head. It was that was essentially the line. Yeah, she, she in fact said, Oh, this dress is gorgeous, but I can't pull it off. It's saying I, I want yeah, to wear this, but I can't Yeah, I can't pull it off. I can't pull it off. And this is where Ted jumps in and says, No, come on, fashion's all about confidence, which is great. I wish someone had told me that when I was like eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> So that, I like that he gave her that vote of confidence there. Uh, Higgins comes in, tells her the great news um, after she she says to Ted, "No, no, I'm fine. I'm I'm quite I'm quite uh, what does she say? I'm quite relaxed or something like that." And and she's obviously like not. not. At all. <laughs> um, Robbie Williams has canceled. Higgins identifies. She tries to just keep it all together. Okay, Higgins will. We'll figure something out. He does that terrible phone phone. (laughs) God, I love him. But I love that even in that moment, like Ted, a coach coaches, man. Like, like, oh, come on. You got it. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, like, he just totally, like, it's just fantastic. Like, I'm like, it's not bad enough this fool can't hold on to his phone. But Ted is like, hey, if that's where we're starting, that's where we're starting. We're starting on hold on to your phone. That's where we're starting. That's a win. That's a win. Yeah, that's You've caught one. it. That's a win. One. Yep. Just to back up one quick second before this, because when uh, Higgins comes in and says, uh, great news, Robbie Williams has canceled. Ted says, oh, no, who's Robbie Williams? And I need to check. Do That was so funny. Do, but do do middle-aged men not know who Robbie Williams is? Because. Uh, uh, I've heard the name. Uh, he would definitely walk by me on the street. I mean, no doubt about it. There is a, a, a section of, let's say, 30-ish, somewhere in their 30s, usually white women who would be able to tell you not just who Robbie Williams is, but what kind of shirt it was that he took off in the Rock DJ video. Because there is a group of us oh. who love him very much. Oh. that Yeah. Well, all right. Mm-hmm. 
And also he yeah, was in that's... he was in the boy band, British boy band Take That. So um, I'm just going to throw out a few more things about Robbie Williams because then he broke my no, heart. No, keep keep him coming. No, when, all... when something rings a bell, I'll let you know. Uh, uh... Yeah, I'm like, what is happening right now? <laughs> yeah, okay. it's yeah. like Orlando. Robbie, there's an entire well, there's an entire universe that's been occurring that you've just completely missed. If we absolutely. And also, there was a guy that I know who, for a very long time, thought that I was talking about Robin Williams. So the thirst was confusing uh, for him. That that I know. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> um, no, no relation. I'm sorry. No, 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 no relation. I'll pretend. Um, I wish we could have had a had a just a camera on Coach while you were talking about Robbie Williams, because it would have been just like Homer Simpson blinking. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no. Like, totally. Like, you you just see, like, the cartoon bubble over my head with, like, a mouse <laughs> running in and out of a hole for some unexplained reason. Okay, so Robbie Williams has canceled. Um, Higgins is on the job, and and Ted being a coach. Um, do you remember what, what he says there, Coach, to to Higgins as he leaves? You got this, Higgins, and Rebecca's grateful for all your hard work. <laughs> I'm sorry. I broke on it because I thought it was so great that he knows. He doesn't have to be told. He knows that is something Higgins has never heard. Right. And he's like, because she is never going to say it, I'm just going to jump on in here and give you a little of what you need. Yeah. Um, I thought that was so funny. Yeah, he's a bridge. And Rebecca's like, what? Like gives him the gives him the look like <laughs> Am I? Um now we cut to Jamie in a suit. And listen. Mm-hmm. Uh Phil Dunster. <laughs> man, he is a handsome, <laughs> handsome man. I, I, so there are times where it looks weird, like where he looks like, Oh, is this guy one of those guys where um you know you see him in person and you're like, he's got the craziest like Angelina Jolie jaw that I've ever seen up close, but he is he looks great in this scene. He just looks great in a suit. And I really appreciated him going, No hood, no zips, no graffiti. Like you kept saying graffiti. I'm like, my God, it was so painful. And it's it's I'm not gonna say it's like patently unfair in the universe that a Jamie character as good looking as Jamie would would be mad about no graffiti. But um, I thought it was just so, so, such a cool, cool shot and cool, cool interaction between the two. If it it makes you feel better, coach, I can tell you that being that good looking is also a burden. Just to put that that on the table. I feel so much better. (laughs) He's definitely, he is not my type. I could absolutely acknowledge that objectively he is an attractive person. He might be in the Harrison Ford, Brad Pitt sort of vein in that as he gets older, he becomes more attractive once once mm. the face gets uh, craggled out a little bit. Little, little ruddier. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, people I know have joked with me that part of the issue is I uh, might have face blindness. I don't actually, but I'm very bad at recognizing people. So basically, <laughs> until your face is unusual enough for me to notice it. I find you unattractive because it feels like a blank wall. Jamie, I get it. I get Jamie it. So has like, a great looking blank wall face. So potential suitors for you should have wrestled a bear in their lifetime. Yeah, probably. I like the tenor of that. Yeah, I gotta yeah. say. <laughs> and then Hello. you're going to want to take that bear and put its um, fur all over your face because I do like a beard on a man. That's true. You do you like a good mm-hmm. beard. So Jamie has none of none. that. None. No zips, no hood. 
It's tough. Tough to find a suit without zips in a hood. Um, I will also say that part of the conjunction of the no hips, uh, no hood, no zips, no graffiti with the next line where he says, uh, people don't know this, but I'm good at fashion shit. I'm like a progeny. Oh, my I God. Mean, Come on. And of course he means prodigy, but it's hysterical to me that the wordplay that they involve there, that a prodigy yes. is somebody who is not experienced, but still amazing at something. And what he accidentally says is, I'm a child. I'm like, yeah, you yes. really, really are. You wanted graffiti <laughs> on your suit, and then you took your shirt off. You're 100% a child. A smooth, airless child. I have a... Yes. Uh, yes. Sorry, go ahead. I have a Hollywood uh, screenwriter friend who writes um, lines into his scripts that he knows, just for me, they usually don't make it to the final cut. But they're always somebody saying the wrong line or like it's one of my favorite things. And um, it's like somebody like one. He, he wrote one movie where um, there was a security guard and making fun of like a, a cowboy and he called him Liberace. <laughs> You know, it's like so my it's so my jam and it never really makes it to, but i love it so much when people get things wrong and they i just oh my god like chef's kiss so anyway i really loved that i like the next moment where he goes to kiss her and she's like down boy that's a good boy find the treat yeah um i you know what i just i feel like we need more of this and i think they were in a good place where we're seeing more shows with women who have like sexual appetites and it's there's no shame around it. And it's just kind of a cool, funky. I don't know. I just thought it was awesome. This is just cool. That she's kind of the boss of this little boy. I don't know. I thought it was great. And I also do think that that would sort of be the dynamic. I think that we learn more about the relationship in the episodes coming up, but she is a little bit older than he is. She seems to be more confident in a lot of the things that she's doing. She isn't afraid to walk into the men's locker room. Uh, it makes a lot of sense to me that she would be in charge in this relationship. I, I really like the, uh, the, the William Blakeian um, difference between um, innocence and experience. And I was watching football this past weekend and what was it? Um, what's the linebacker for the, for the bears? Uh, Rohan Davies. That's his name. I forget. I, I mean, anyway, I remember it was like middle linebacker. I remember when he got drafted and he was just a young buck and uh, you know, just like right you know, wet behind the ears coming out of college and then you see I – anyway, the point of this is I love when you see someone able – who's just a veteran and you and they go from like playing on a field where they're trying to figure everything out. And then you can see the game slow down for them and they get it. Now they're starting to instruct other people. And um, man, I love that. And I, and I, I – we're going to talk about this a little bit more as we – as this episode goes on. But this is the first time you see it with – the Keely and Jamie dynamic, I think, where like one of them's a veteran and one of them kind of isn't. Yeah, that's a great point. I hadn't even considered it that way, but it, her involvement in the football world does make her a veteran in some ways and showing him how to do some things. Yeah, N not on the field, but in the world of football. Absolutely. Yeah, right. Like her saying like, oh, you're going to get better sponsorship if you, if you embrace high fashion, things like that. So um, and then it manifests itself with some how uh, they hook up a little bit. But that's just kind of a cool subsector of it. Um, the next scene we jump into is Ted coming out of his his apartment in a suit. What did you think about uh, about Ted Lasso in a suit there, coach? 
I thought that was I thought that was fun and that he's sort of, you know, he looks good in his suit. Again, I, I think at every opportunity where the bad version of this show would have gone, you know, off the rails and out he comes in a bolo tie or something ridiculous. And, you know, like they, they, they make sure to like ground him. Like he is a full on adult who gets the world and has that suit, like has that tailored suit um ready to go. I, I and so him doing that and seeing this grown up version of him as he's navigating something that should be simple, just leaving his wife a message, um, but doesn't feel at all simple uh, as, as, as he sort of stumbles through it. I thought that was a, I thought that really worked. Yeah. And he noticed he went to say, I love you. And he changes yep. it to, I miss you on that. Yep. I like that. And thank you for saying that. Um, I think that's, it's a, such a great point about uh, that. He, didn't have a bolo tie on who, who would have, who would he remind you of if he had a bolo tie on? <laughs> I know, I know the, who I think I know who jumps right to mind. The it's, starting quarterback for the Indianapolis, the Indianapolis Colts. This is a shout out to a, a friend of ours who hates him with a white hot passion. <laughs> In fairness, we all hate him with a white hot passion, but yeah. Right. Um, yeah, no, that's who, that's, that's what I was thinking of. If he came Phillip out in a, a rivers, Philip rivers. Um, I would, yeah. Do you know? Do you know him at all, boss? Do you know who Philip Rivers is? I do. There are a few players. I, I, I'm not going to follow uh, game to game players year to year or anything, but there are definitely a few that stick out. I happen to know about Philip River, Rivers. He is like three weeks younger than I am, which I had to look up because he oh. um, beat my Bears yesterday, um, mm. and I find it. Right offensive that he's as old as I am considering he's a professional athlete. And if I sit for too long, I get injured. So yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a fan. Yeah. Good. Whatever, whatever road you take to dislike Philip Rivers is a road. We'll all join you on. Perfect. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, so Ted is in the suit. He leaves the phone message. Doesn't get, get up. Uh, doesn't he's playing phone tag with his, with his wife. We don't know what the dynamic is there, just that he's nervous to say, I love you. Um, gives some money to a, a street musician outside who's playing Troubadour. Um, and then Nate walks up. And do you remember what happens then, uh, boss? Yes. This is when Ted compliments him on his suit, says, oh, look at you in your suit, looking great. Um, they chat for a little bit. And Ted sort of slips in. Now, Nate, are you one of those guys who wants a friend to tell you if you have something in your teeth? And Nate says, for sure. Mm -hmm. And Ted says, mm -hmm. okay, great, because that suit does not fit you. <laughs> at all. At all. At it's all. such a great scene. Ted doesn't want to offend Nate at all. He doesn't want to say, like, hey, you can't show up in that suit. But he also wants to protect him from showing up in a suit that doesn't fit. So he's going to walk the line and figure out the best way of threading that needle in order to make sure that Nate is feeling as good as he can, especially because Nate is Ted's date for the event. Ted is the reason mm. that Nate is going to be there. He's going to make sure that he takes care of them. That's a great point. I, I think it's so great. And, and we just look at how far we've come from, hey, I love your hot dogs. Nathan's hot dog. You have them out here? No. You know, remember like the... Right, right. I felt like... Now, I tried to get... I was able to get the... Um, by using every connection I have in Hollywood, I was able to get the pilot script for Ted Lasso. And then I tried to push to get the other scripts 
Um, but they're guarded by Apple, like the Ark of the Covenant. And I, <laughs> I cannot get my, seriously cannot get my hands on them. But I always wonder if there was a scene written because we don't have any closure. In the, and, and listen, this is such a great show that we just kind of bop over and it's fine. The next time we see them, Nate is, is all spiffy. But I wonder if there was a scene written in the clothier or haberdasher or wherever, you know, how, how did they pull this off? Did, did Ted pay for the suit? Did he know a guy that like that hit the cutting room floor, another character, like an Ollie or an ancillary character that he, that they had written into an earlier episode. I, I don't know. It just seemed to me like that would have been a scene they would have written. Anyway, I loved it. Love the truth about it, that this suit does not fit you at all. He's taking care of Nate. Um, it's great. Now we move over to the red carpet for the gala. And the first person we see is Colin. Uh, you know, one thing I noticed is everybody's personality comes out on the red carpet. Yes. They did a great job of this. Yes. Um, and then do you remember the the order of who was next, uh, Coach? We had uh, Colin's out there. We've got Keely and Rebecca. Well, we got a couple of guys come through. Sam pointing out, um, you know, wanting to know people's names and just feeling very thankful that they're there taking his picture. I thought it was just like, he's just a puppy. You just want to pick up. Oh, such a good egg. Such a good egg. But the the you, moment, you got Jamie you got Jamie there next to oh, left eyebrow right eyebrow do you remember oh that? My God. yeah like that, again great 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 confused comparison look. right you talk about who's the veteran and who's the rookie like confused what are you talking about meanwhile though here's Keely who's been on enough red carpets that she not only has this amazing um, you know and totally quick and effective advice. Uh, for Rebecca of how she should stand to look fantastic in the pictures. She gives her she gives her that advice and then runs around behind everybody to scream about how fucking fit she is. <laughs> oh, look at her. She's fucking fit. And I just thought, oh, my God, like this. She's phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, you know, and Jamie, Jamie doesn't get any of that. He wouldn't get any of that. And he wouldn't be paying nearly enough attention to anybody else on Earth that they that he would notice that they're having a hard time on the red carpet or would laugh at them for having it. So you just really get to to see a bit of who Keely really is. I, I'm a big believer that you watch people and what they do in small things and you'll really find out a lot about who they are on the well, who they're gonna be on the big things. And to me that was a great indication of like, oh, okay. I get it. I get what's who that, she is. What's that line, Coach? How you do? How you do anything is how you do everything, or That's something right. like that. No way. Yeah. One of my parents gave me that after hearing me have a uh, not so uh, low level conversation with my uh, with my players. Uh, but yeah, I was I, I I quoted Aristotle to them, and then she's telling them that uh, excellence is a habit. And then she after told me that she had been told growing up in her Russian family that how you do anything is how you do everything. So I've held that one with me for a long time. Wow, I love that. I, I love that very much, um, and I don't want to gloss over it too much. But I one of the things that struck me about uh, Keely in this scene because it, Rebecca, you know. Looking over at Keely being able to pose the way that she is and then sort of confessing to her very quietly that she hates this part. Keely then comes over and tell instructs her about how to pose in these specific ways, which way looks best, and then runs around in order to be a cheerleader. Uh, it, for me, reflected a lot of what Ted does with his players. Like he says, this is how you do this thing and then acts as a cheerleader so that they have the confidence in order to pull off the dress. And I don't think that it's supposed to be that Keely and Ted are the same person, but I do like that they're mirroring 
similar characteristics in players in order to show why they have the connections that they do. That, that is a great point. Oh, that's, that's just a great yeah. point. And you know what? Wow. This is the first time we get to see Keely having more knowledge in a certain area than Rebecca, because it's not a it's it's not a static dynamic where one of them is a pro at everything. The other is just like a little beanie bopper. Like Rebecca has that regal sort of um, you know, sort of patrician vibe and and Keely is a lot more carefree. But in this world, Keely is a pro. Keely right. knows mm-hmm. the ins and outs of everything. And the thing is she will willingly just gives it away. She gives that information, she shares it with a friend. And she didn't have to do it. Um, there's a, a whole school of thought where, um, where you know, I hate to say it, but if if uh, it's the same concept as I don't have to outrun the bear, I just have to outrun you. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Keely could be like, "Hey, yeah. put it, making Rebecca look sort of bloated and lousy makes me just look prettier here," and she chooses not to do that. Um, and and I think it's like again, we talk about the show being pro women, and is there more of a of a like just a just an example than a Rebecca, who is absolutely a knockout and just glamorous and stunning to the nines and um, amazing and statuesque and tall and you know what I mean she's got every every adjective you could want and she feels anxious and nervous and and, and sort of um, uh, inelegant or whatever and and you have to have this conversation where Keely and her are, are actively sort of um addressing this situation whereas seconds later roy kent comes walking through and goes no no (laughs) fuck you fuck off no fuck off nothing like dudes can get away with that and it's it is crazy like so Mm -hmm. much of this show as we're going to go through and look at beat Mm -hmm. by beat this one episode was was a, a sort of a call out to that dynamic that that the stakes are different the rules are different and Men can get away with fucking murder, mm. and and, the, and and in every sort of case that women can. I think that's a great point. It's also not just that Roy can come through and say no, no, fuck off, and it's acceptable. It's also now po- part of his brand. Right. It's not just that he isn't punished for it. It's that there are people who think, oh, well, look at him not being willing to get into the superficial aspects of it. He's not here for the fame. He just wants to help the kids. And it's somehow a positive for him that he is being a gruff asshole to the photographers. Yeah, we love it. But I know I oh, loved, I loved it. it. I loved. I loved it. I loved it. Like every time I think I can't love Roy anymore. Um, oh my god! And the thing is, you know, he's, he's flipping them off too while he does it. He's not just just saying <laughs> no. He's also giving them the. I don't know what, what they even call it up there with the two fingers, but he's just flipping them off and fuck off. No, fuck you. <laughs> It's so good. So, um, okay, now we see, um, we see, uh, I, I like this one. Somebody wanted to um, to go into this. I feel like we mentioned it a little bit um, in this, when we, when we first taught Nate to strut. But once, when Nate finally looks, looks, uh, shows up in his new suit, do you remember what uh, uh, Coach says to him? He says, don't strut, let the suit do the work. Yes. And, and he does exactly the same strut as in the third episode. Yes. It's so good. Yes. I love it so much. And then he goes and shakes hands with Rebecca. Nate does. And he says, great to see you again. And she says, nice to meet you. And then he says, nice to meet you. And I'm just like, 
cackling on my couch. Like the poor, I mean, oh my God. He's such a, he's such a, what is it? A null set? Like in his world, he's so used to just, I am not seen as his, as his, you know, defining characteristic. I am literally not seen. And and, yeah, Rebecca sometimes hammers that home. She provides, sorry, I didn't mean to step on that, but she provides a reminder to him, right? I mean, here's, here's, he's the plus one. So like, you're never busy or you're busy tonight. You're going to the gala. That suit doesn't fit you. Let's go get a suit that looks great on you, right? Um, I'm paying, I'm making sure going into this world. So, so Ted is like, you're, you're, a, you're a real boy. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then, you know, Rebecca, she, she, he's still invisible to her. So it's, it's, I think it's a great just reminder, like to him. Um, in the midst of all this. And again, it could be sort of this straight line to like, oh, see, it's all set. He got a new suit and it's all good. It's like the, the glasses off the awkward girl in half the eighties movies. And instead it's like, nope, it's not that simple. That's a great point. Absolutely great point. So we get through there and we see, uh, Beard and Jane at the party. We don't really talk to them, but we see them laughing and having fun. Um, and now Jamie and Roy end up at the same table. Uh, coach says, I parent trapped y'all. And he talks about, um, do you remember the line about uh, locker rooms there, uh, boss? Oh, he likes them like he uh, likes his mom's bathing suits. He only wants to see them in one piece. <laughs> so, I don't even know what the commentary is there, but it's good. <laughs> they said, okay, let's address the problems. Roy says he's a, he's a piece of shit. Jamie says, if his brain was on fire, I wouldn't piss in his ear. So that's a you know, it's a nice start to the evening. Um, it's always, always a cracking good way to start off a gala. Although um, I am always looking for new ways to say how much I can't stand somebody. So believe you me, that will be heard again. <laughs> that line, just putting it out there, probably about Coach Castleton, but we'll see. But the point is... I love that, that line. That would so not funny. surprise me. That would not surprise <laughs> me. I like that you're you're going to be quoting Jamie Tart. Somehow the, the level of intelligence is on brand. <laughs> Nicely played. Uh, so so um, I'm a progeny. You don't need to be great. You don't need to be best friends to be great teammates. Um, you want to talk about that a little bit, Coach? Shaq and Kobe, Lennon and McCartney. I thought he, I, it was great because it's a great point from a coach, and it's true. Right. Like sometimes all that tension kind of like serves in some bizarre way and puts the just the right energy into a group. But what you, you can't you can't openly try to destroy each other that you can't do. At some point, you've got to decide we we will hate each other in pursuit of the same goal. The goal can't be mutual destruction. So I thought I thought it was actually a really I thought it was an on brand way for Ted Lasso to say that. It's true in many places. Um, I, for, for me, it resonates. I, I'm trying to think if I ever played a sport. I played so many sports and I, I was trying to think if I ever hated somebody enough to not pass them. But then again, I think like it would be that much. I, I don't think I ever. I, I think I always was fine with all my teammates or whatever. But I I can only imagine how how terrible that would be if you're a professional like that's your job and you have to pass this son of a bitch um i could really understand that for me it reminds me of the theater where anyone who grew up in the theater uh know will probably know the term your 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 partner is your performance Mm -hmm. and um there are times in the theater where i have definitely not liked somebody i was acting with and (laughs) and you have to like just dig deep and realize like you're part of a bigger thing 
So I really liked this uh, this part, and I like the fact that uh, Lasso says, um, you know, it's about mutual respect. There's a there has to be a level of respect there. Nate botches a birthday suit joke at that moment, um, and the guys refuse to play nicely. So Ted, um, do you remember what he says there, uh, boss? Oh God, this was such a good line. He says, uh, "Here's an idea that's going to help a little or hurt a whole hurt a whole lot." Who wants a drink? <laughs> Which that's great. As a person with a large Irish family <laughs> is always the answer and is never the answer. It's, right. it's like one of those, yeah, it's one of those uh, beer, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. Oh, God. Like, that's yeah, funny. it's it, who knows? Funny. We'll see what happens. I thought, now listen, this is just me as someone who I think of my, you know, I'm a, I'm a uh, you know, sort of. American, all American boy. I, I'm probably on the spectrum of where my friends drink or smoke. I'm probably closer to the choir boy level of that section. But I thought, I think it's interesting to me that in a show where this is an interesting dynamic for me, um, in a show where we're very forward thinking and we're very sort of uh, we're using a lot of like quasi therapy terms and, and sort of progressive concepts that sometimes you just got to have a beer or sometimes you got to have a, I mean, that's kind of mm-hmm. fascinating to me. I, I'm not sure I'd mm-hmm. love it. I'm, I'm not, you know, it's somebody who, who mm-hmm. I, I just don't like being out of control. It's like a control thing for me, but, um, but in general, and we're going to come to this a little bit later in the episode and we'll talk about it more when we get there. I think of Ted as more evolved than your average bear. And yet in certain ways, he's, just as evolved, you know, not, you know, like, like right, this, this right. thing where it's like, Hey, you know what? Like maybe we just need a drink, which I think is kind of refreshing in a way and kind of, well, I, I think it's another example of him being uh, an actual man, right. In the context of this world, right. Like if he, you know, none for me, <laughs> you know, like and it could have easily again made that horrible choice. And I think it makes him a guy, He's a guy who chooses to behave in this way. He's not like no ray of sunshine specially touched him that made him this like heavenly creature. He's a guy and he likes to drink like anybody else or most others or whatever. I mean, it's hard for me to pass any judgment now because this, you know, as we record this on three sheets to the wind, but <laughs> nice in the context. Okay. But yeah, but anyway, I think it, it helps to like, again, humanize him for me. That that yeah he you know he has a drink from time to time it's you know he's not showing up he's not showing up to the match like shit faced because his 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 wife is giving him you know is 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 pretty much pushing him out of the the marriage it, it he's still doing his job but yes. you know if we're all hanging out sure I'll have yeah. one there are so many so many things in there that I want to respond to one it does feel like if they had made him Flanders thinking that the Catholic Church was uh, too risque because of the communion wine. Like, I would not latch on to that. That wouldn't be a thing to respond to. Right. I do think that that's also (laughs) a super great point about how his marriage is sort of crumbling around him. And he's showing up to work and being supportive and taking care of his team and buying Nate a suit because he wants to make sure that he's taken care of at this thing. Like, I feel like he has a lot of excuses. not excuses, but I feel like if he were self-imploding right now, that would be understandable in a way. And he's not. Instead, what he's saying is like, we should all have a beer. Um, I think also probably I um, 
a little, I'm not a little more lenient. I'm way more lenient on this stuff in part. I'm not going to blame it entirely on being a Midwesterner, but I will say we had t-shirts when I was an undergrad 20 or so years ago that said uh, Champaign, Illinois, a drinking town with a football problem. So that was that was That's sort of how Jesus we rolled. Yeah, like <laughs> I knew the drink special at every bar in on campus every night of the week. And like you would just say, we're doing dollar bottles at Legends. Like it, it was a, a bit wow. more uh, permissive when it came to that stuff for us. Right. There's a certain, and there's a certain, yeah, no, 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 that, I totally get it. And, 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 it, and it ebbs and flows in different parts of the country. I know like, I have a friend um, who's got a theory about people in New England, which I will always I'm, I'm a New Englander. I grew up in the Boston area and um, I've traveled around the world. I've been around the world twice and I've never met meaner, meaner people than New England. <laughs> and I, and I, would, I'd take it to, I would take it. I'd put it up against anybody. I'm telling you, I've been all over the world. The meanest people in the world are in New England. Um, and that's part of their identity and it's part of, I should say our identity. And, um, there's a, there's a friend of mine who's like every single relationship you bump into in new England is a long suffering woman trying to get their kids to college and, and a functional alcoholic. Like that's the whole, mm-hmm. that's the whole thing. <laughs> wow. And so I tend to go, okay, so is there a different way? And then I, I have a little, there's a personality thing I, I have where um, you worked long enough uh, as a screenwriter, you see that like when people write a character, it can't just be like, hey, this is a perfect character. So they try to give people like, okay, what's his fatal flaw? What's her fatal flaw? And so many people just default to alcoholism because it's like an easy one that everybody recognizes. And so I kind of like how in Ted Lasso, it's normalized without being or without them featuring it as a crutch. And we'll talk about this mm-hmm. in later episodes too. But um, mm-hmm. I just thought it's kind of a cool concept uh, that's going to help a little or hurt a whole lot. And and we don't have to dwell on this any further. But I'm I'm putting a pin in it because I noticed it, and it's something that um, I think comes up in several different episodes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so Ted bumps into Rebecca right after this. She's getting ready for her speech. He's she's obviously nervous. Um, my heart bleeds for her. God, I just really like Rebecca so much. Um, which is funny because she can be so. You know, like her barking at people out the window and stuff. I could see how people would take that the wrong way, but it was charming. I thought every everything she does that's, that would theoretically turn us off is just makes me like her more because I just really, you know, just feel for her her suffering. He says, "Start with a joke, make you know, make fun of yourself." And she says, "Great, what should I make fun of?" <laughs> <laughs> and then I love how he decides steps that whole thing. You're not gonna you're not gonna do that, are you? No, ma'am. Uh, just really great. Um, and then he comes back, he does the thing where he comes back where he's like, oh, you can make fun of this. And he's like, no, 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 walks away. Um, hey, but, but again, you talk about veterans and rookies, right? Like Jamie probably says, like, well, you can make fun of and rattles off seven things. Yes. Like, Ted, totally. This this is not Ted's first rodeo. He's like, I'm, no, absolutely there not going to no do this. proper answer here. I, there's not a single answer that'll work, right? Yeah, I am. Um, God, I feel like maybe I told this story recently. I hope I'm not repeating it on the podcast. But um, within a, my group of friends, we roast each other pretty hard. And there was one time where somebody said something that was like, 
a little too personal. This was not, we are joking around. This was a little too real. They're making fun of Mm -hmm. this guy about something that is actually maybe a flaw and not just like a foible that we all know and can acknowledge. And so somebody else said, hey, wait, we don't make fun of real things. And our other buddy shouted, what? We zing my small dick all the time. And I feel like... Jamie would not realize that you don't zing somebody's small dick. Like he would say, well, why don't you make fun of the fact that your husband cheated on you, Rebecca, and that he left you and that you're nearing 45 or whatever and are alone and your team sucks. Why don't you talk about all those things? Like Jamie would not have known how to do this. So it's, it's a commentary on somebody being in the moment. And we've talked about this from a Buddhist perspective. And, you know, I brought it up on an, on a previous episode when, Keely says how fit she looked in the picture of the from the paparazzi, and Ted mm-hmm. says, "Yeah, yeah, beautiful light." Yes. Um, it's the mm-hmm. same thing. Like he doesn't comment on the wrong thing, which I really appreciate because the ba- mm-hmm. the root of it is respect. So, like he is trying to help Rebecca here, the same way he was trying to help Keely. Um, photo uh, man innocently feeds woman um, <laughs> in a relationship that does not define her you know like he's so so respectful so conscious i guess Great. part of me when, it, when we talk and we got to get off the drinking but part, part of me is like oh if he starts to drink will this facade crumble mm. well, is he able to be this respectful or is this like his mask you know it will will the alcohol poison that anyway oh, we'll, we'll, we'll explore, explore that a little bit more so um um, he sidesteps that, uh, he walks, he walks past, um, Beard and, and his Beard's date, uh, Jane playing no board chess. I didn't even know that was a thing. And were you guys aware of that? Absolutely not. Yeah, it was, it was pretty impressive. I think that I'm, I've been trying to find this. And if someone listening ever knows what this is, I want, I once watched a session online where, it was a coding party. And by coding, I mean like programming. Oh, God. Wow. And they, all these people were in this, were in this party and they would say like, okay, you're going to program this. They would have you know, contestants or whatever. And someone would say, do this. And the guy would say, okay, here are the keystrokes. He would say like forward slash this colon, semicolon, this return. Then, the, you know, he would whatever. And then one would wait. And then the people would go correct. And everybody would blow up because he had just like, talked out a line i know and i don't know what it is i've always wanted to find it so i could i don't know what it's called i don't know what the sport is i don't know but i was so amazed by that sport is pretty generous there (laughs) (laughs) if auto racing is a sport um, so anyway yeah I, i this this reminds me of that um where where people are so vastly superior to me mentally that um, they can have a chess game without a board. I'm like, what? How? Like, I'm, you know, positively bovine compared to that. So um, that's just like amazing to me. So anyway, he, uh, Ted, I politely excuses himself. And then he um, goes in and we hear Rebecca's speech um, at the gala. Mm-hmm. And I really love, she opens up with a joke about how she's not a hugger. And I just love Ted gives her this like thumbs up and, you know, the AOK sign, um, which has now sort of been weirdly corrupted by a uh, white supremacist. Right. And that's so weird. Right. Um, and uh, my dad used to call that. So my dad was in the Navy and he calls it the flying asshole. <laughs> 
Because I guess naval, <laughs> avi- naval aviators, I mean, he's 91. He turned 91 last week. And um, go dad. And he, but he call if you do that symbol where you do finger with the three fingers up, like a little circle. That's funny. He calls it, the, he says it's a naval aviator thing. They call it the flying asshole. That's got to be 70 years old, that term, from, from where he's pulling it from. Anyway. Wow. So Ted gives her that, the double flying asshole. <laughs> and then we, we have uh, Rupert Mannion walk in. Coach, Oof. why don't you talk a little bit about this? Well, I mean, he, he couldn't make a more obnoxious and frankly, Rupert entrance um he's got on a white jacket i mean okay and then (laughs) i mean what in the world and so then but like in the middle of rebecca's speech like any decent reasonable human being you know obviously the event has started blah 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 walks in finds a seat you know quietly sort of hushedly maybe says hello to people at the table he comes in and just takes over the room. And it's it's pretty clear pretty quickly that that is not a coincidence or a mistake or just sort of like fallout of a big personality. Like he has come here to be a huge boulder dropped into the middle of this pond. And so it was a for a guy who is what Rupert is, it was a pretty fitting introduction to the actual man. Um, because yeah, I wanted to punch him in the face like immediately. What What was your sense of of this moment there, boss? I hate him. I hate him so much. He. I, I think we've mentioned before that it doesn't seem like there's an actual villain on the show. There are just people who aren't doing as well as they should be yet. And Rupert is a fucking villain. He. Amen. Amen. Oh my God. You're in it's, trouble, Coach Bishop. You're in uh, trouble. I was just going to say, boss, don't leave me now. Boss, oh, okay. it's two to one. You're done, Coach. You're already done before this whole conversation starts, Coach Bishop. Okay. So I should clarify <laughs> a little bit. I think there are a couple of things happening. The first of which is that we have mentioned on this podcast before that the show is a, a feminist tract or that it is pro woman. And I believe that both of those things are true. I think that uh, what would be a slightly more appropriate term is that it is anti-patriarchal, which I think in the end is the same as being feminist and the same as being pro-woman. But I think that what we are seeing in this scene is not a guy being an asshole, but someone who has bought into the patriarchy so much that he thinks after he cheated on his wife multiple times for many years and she divorced him, he gets to punish her. Wow. And I think that that is really what this comes down to is that Mm -hmm. he, he wants her to be punished. He wants her to be embarrassed. He wants him to be the center of attention. He also wants her to have to treat him kindly and be friendly to him and accept him into her gala. Like it, I can be, pretty forgiving about infidelities. Like long-term relationships are hard and monogamy is hard. And if he had cheated, that would have been one thing, but he cheated and he then blamed her for the fact that that destroyed their marriage. And that I think is what the villainy in the show is, this idea of patriarchy. And he is right now the embodiment of that. Totally agree. Totally agree. I, I, I just like to, before we move on into the conversation, because it's a great conversation, boss, that I just, you just drilled that. Like I just got to call that out. You absolutely <laughs> just drilled that point. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to see you arm wrestling Michelle Obama, but if it happens, I could, 
couldn't look away. Not after that point. Are you kidding me? That was brilliant. That was fantastic. Well, Go ahead, coach. Thank you, but I would lose so bad. Just yeah, no, you'd get you. Get I tr- mean, especially because I would be trying to hug her the entire time we're supposed to be arm wrestling. So. <laughs> Stop yeah. it. Stop Mm-mm. it, boss. Stop it. <laughs> I love that. That yeah, I love everything you just said, uh, boss. And I think that he is punishing her specifically for having the gall to have left him. Yeah. How dare she? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like he did anything that bad. Yeah. You know, just, you know, two two dozen infidelities or so. It's not. I mean, hey, rich on. men cheat all the time. You should have known this when you right. married me. It's their right. It's their They're right. right. I, I know. We have a friend in um, we have a friend in Chile where where wealthy men often have mistresses, and uh, wealthy men have mistresses, and they um, will pay to you know the mistress will have an apartment and be taken care of. And, and um, we know a person that um, this man married an American woman, and she went down there. She was in love, and, and um, years later she finds out he's got a few mistresses. Um, and her friends are down there are shocked that she this well, wasn't aware of this, you know, and it was like such a, such a yeah. culture shock, you know, where it's like, Oh my, like mm. she, she really, she had no idea. And he's got like half a dozen mistresses that he pays for. Um, he's a banker, you know, and she thought wow. they had this one thing and, and then, and then the, the amazing, they have a child there. And so the amazing thing is like her strength in deciding to stay you know, I'm just like, oh, my heart bleeds for her every time I think about it, where she just, you know, she's just like this, this, yeah, like when what do you wake up one morning and your world is not what you thought it was. Yeah. And you have mm-hmm. to make these difficult, like amazing choices. And so segueing into the, the Rupert Mannion entrance, I just was overwhelmed with like sort of feeling and respect for rebecca and i just remember thinking like god she's so classy she just held it together he calls her darling yeah he does yeah he does. oh my god like my blood my blood like turns to acid when i think of that um this guy is the embodiment of everything this show isn't about so the reason he's a character in this show is because if i was going to teach a child what what like the effects of fire, I would burn something so they would see it. And he, he's sort of that, that sort of <laughs> dynamic, you know, it's like, we have been witnessing lovely behavior, acceptance, warmth, um, maturity, mm-hmm. and in comes this walking embodiment of the patriarchy. He is, um, insufferable, self-important, um, and and doesn't give a damn about anyone and you can feel the room perk up when he comes in they love mm-hmm. him they absolutely mm-hmm. love him and he says to her you know i'm no i know i'm crash i know i'm crashing your party but my fingers and toes are crossed you'll have me and she says like of course of course she's so gracious she's so classy it reminds me of the line where she where they were trying to the ernie hounds reporter and in, in i think it was episode two was trying to get a gotcha moment with her saying you know your husband has another woman that he was with and she's saying and here i thought men couldn't um multitask yeah. it's that mm-hmm. same she is so regal and so above it and um, she says, of course, let's get him a seat at the boring table, only joking. And then she goes, Rupert Mannion, everyone. Yeah. So, I'm like, oh my God. I, I have to say, though, because of matter of like, the way this show works and in so many ways, so many moments resonated with me. And I have to say that as an American, the idea that 
people would choose the embodiment of patriarchy over a perfectly lovely woman who gets the job done is just not believable. That's just not <laughs> something. <laughs> totally. That's, I, was, I, can't. I mean, where would you ever, how could you ever, I mean, you don't, you just don't see it is what you're talking, what you're saying. Coach. Yeah. I mean, you know, suspension of disbelief, all that, you know, no one's perfect guys. Yeah. Nice try though. You know, Seriously. As if that would ever happen. My favorite part about that comment, Coach Bishop, is that each word that you said, I was like, oh, I wonder if he's talking about this guy or this guy or this guy. or this. I, I actually went through oh, about wow. six of them. I was like, oh, I know where he's ending up on this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. In our show, Doc, when we're writing about this, um, I'm not going to say it on the air, but uh, the two of you can look and see what I, I did. wrote about. I, I, I really had to bite my lip to not laugh out yeah. loud. That was very funny. <laughs> I, I put some choice words <laughs> that we just we just can't share, but suffice it to say, they're. I not mean, neither nice. Ted nor I are going to say that word out loud. But right. yes, <laughs> and also I should mention I'm not going to say that word out loud during the recording. But if you think I didn't shout it when he walked into the room. Be very <laughs> exactly. exactly right. Uh, so we cut to Nate standing at the bar, looking looking very suave. Uh, the bartender sets a martini in front of him. He thanks he thanks her. She turns away. Uh, oh, he sips it, and then she turns away and he spits it <laughs> out. Oh my, like, oh, god. oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! That could so be funny. my ringtone. Him tra- saying that. I every every <laughs> time, every time I laugh, every time. It's fa- so oh my good. God. It's so good. Um, and we talk about just like how they intersperse different types of comedy. This is just great physical comedy, super gaggy, because right after he spits it out, a waiter comes and takes the <laughs> takes the martini and walks off with it. Now, Colin and, and Isaac notice this and they laugh at it. And he turns around and he says, oh, God, guys, just leave me alone. You can give me double tomorrow. It's a new suit. And do you remember what they tell him, boss? Uh, he's. They tell him we're not allowed to pick on you anymore. Roy headbutted me. I'm not. The doctors told me I'm not allowed to drink anymore. And then sips his beer. <laughs> then he sips his beer. This is the type of gaggy comedy I'm talking about. It just works. I love the back to back gags. And I also, uh, as an Irish person, well, as a person of Irish descent, I love that it was the Mick that did it. Of course he was still going to drink his beer. Like, of course. That's so funny. I don't want to get too real on a podcast about a TV show, but I will say that in college, I knew a woman who had to have a procedure, and the night before Mm. she was supposed to be home uh, getting ready for it, and Mm. instead was at the bar. She was like, I have until 11, because they told me that I can't eat or drink until for eight hours beforehand. I'm like, I was like, they probably weren't thinking you were going to have two car bombs, Aaron. Like, get it together. I still got four minutes. (laughs) That's great. I love that. So he is still dizzy half the time, which I love. Colin says, I'm still dizzy half the time. Uh, Doctor told me not to drink. Um, um, I'm not sure what, uh, how that works being on the, on the pitch, being dizzy half the time. Um, But um, we cut to Jamie at the table and he's eating and he drops sauce on his nipple. Do you remember? Yeah, great. Yet yet another argument for shirts yes. was... Yes, yet another argument for shirts, says Roy. So good. Now we have um, 
uh, an attendee at the at the gala um, who uh, is an older woman, and she um, propositions Jamie. Um, we we come to find out she is the Shetland Pony uh, <laughs> champion. What what was her? Um, yes, Cheryl Barnaby is her name. Richmond's premier breeder of Shetland ponies, and she is going to she is going to um, remove that sauce from Jamie's nipple if she gets the winning bit. <laughs> yeah, she uh, she seems intent on doing. Yeah, so. I, she said something about how she uh, wishes she were that ice cube or something that he's rubbing on right. his nipple. Yes. Yeah. yes. Yes. No. It's not so. She doesn't have time to fuck around uh, anymore. I, I, I'm, I'm a big I'm a big fan of Cheryl Barnaby. There was a um I feel like this whole bachelor auction where so this is a groundhog day moment, right? Um it with a Chris Elliott. Yes, you guys remember uh I'm just reaching back right now. In in Groundhog Day, there was a bachelor auction also. Mm. Um where the, oh, no, it's, this is a gag that's been done where the older woman buys the younger mm-hmm. man. Um, if men, uh, coach and I will say it till we're blue in the face. If men were actually intelligent, they would, they would immediately look for older women <laughs> in their lives. Um, but it's a hundred percent. They are accurate. not. They are not. Uh, yeah. There's a moment where Chris Elliott gets bought by an older woman and she's like, got him. And he, and he looks like he shields his eyes from the, from the light and looks at the audience. He's like, Oh damn. Um, so that, that's a dynamic we've seen before. So, um, there's a moment at the table where, um, (laughs) where this is, this is the innocence and experience thing. So Jamie is confused about the dynamic of this bachelor auction. And Roy says, if she bids over 3000, you will have to fuck her. And Jamie's like, is that true? He asks, he asks Keely if that's true. And do you remember what happens there, Coach? You don't have to go all the way, just some of the way. Fingering. And <laughs> 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 I I I I'm gonna do a little bit of a share. First of all, I love busting chops. Like my buddies and I, that's all we do. The closer they are to me, the more likely we are to say the most horrendous things to each other, to play jokes, whatever, right? So recently, what I've realized is my my now 15-year-old son, we were kind of figuring out, I think, for a little bit there what our relationship is, and it turns out we're buddies. And so all we do now, all the time, like we cannot pass one another in the house without busting each other's chops. And this moment just had so much of that, because it's like, you can only do this to a guy who hasn't been around the block. If they both pick up right. right away, oh, yeah, let's do it. We're going to have some fun. We get this. We know the joke. You do your part. I'll do mine. I mean, it's not really that far from um, we heard you, Nate, right? Like, right, right. It's it's very close. Like, everybody falls into their roles. We've all seen a version of this, but not Jamie because he's this is his first time. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was a, a really cool dynamic. And so Jamie's feelings get hurt. He runs off. Um, and. It's Keely chases him. It's such a bummer. And and Ted Ched shows up and says, "What happened now?" And um and boss, do you remember what? Um, uh, Ted asks him, "What were you like when you were his age, playing in this league, making all this money?" And Roy says, "A little bitch, prima donna." Right. Just, just yeah. Ted says, "What's the, what's what happened now?" And he says, "Just the usual Jamie being a little bitch, prima donna." Yeah. He says, "Well, what were you like?" Yeah, yeah I was a bitch, prima I donna. Love that. Right. So that's good. So you have the talk about youth is wasted on the young. And Ted comes up with the the line. Uh, what was the, what was the line, Coach? Don't Bishop? let the wisdom of age be wasted on you. 
And I have to say one, when he said it, I was like, oh, nice line. And then that he calls out that it was a nice line as he has to step away and go talk to Rebecca. It was for me, I enjoyed that so much because there are definitely those moments when you're coaching where you say a bunch of things that sound stupid and it comes out of your mouth, you yelled it halfway across the field and you realize that doesn't even make any sense. And then, but then there are these moments where you just crystallize some idea and you're like, I am a genius. <laughs> And that, and that was it right there. It was just him going, gotta say, that's pretty sweet. Filing that one away. Like he, that's now in the lexicon. That's now in the Ted Lasso. He will pull that out again yeah. next season. Like that's a good one. And I, I just really enjoyed that moment with him. I'm glad you did because I'm, uh, I, I strive to be an intelligent person. And um, despite how everyone <laughs> treats me and knows the opposite is true, but I did not even get the lot for some reason. I was like a golden retriever turning my head to the side. I'm like, wait, what? Don't let the wisdom of age be wasted on you. I was like, wait, huh? <laughs> totally, totally didn't get it. I'm like, I had to rewind it. That's so funny but, and yes. mildly concerning coach. Go to say it. I know. I know. Get into that. Four kids. They've destroyed me. Um, so uh, why is your face so close to mine? Nate just pops in and is right <laughs> awkwardly close to Roy. Um, they've done such a great job establishing these characters that we know Nate is racked with anxiety and confusion. And he's lost and alone. And he feels like so overpowered that he's going to approach Roy Kent of all people and give him a hug. But he chickens out at the last second because it makes perfect sense that he does. And Nate, who is as cantankerous and ornery as, as Eeyore is like, why are you, what are you doing? Why are you so close to me? I was going to say, not only is uh, Nate worried about the hug and anxious about it, but then because he chickens out, he makes it so much worse. If if somebody you know gives you a hug unexpectedly, even if it's a little bit awkward, that's not as bad as just coming up and shoving your face (laughs) directly into somebody else's face. It's It's the the worst worst choice possible in the scenario. (laughs) Huh. So so now we see um, uh, he does he does end up hugging Roy and Roy's like that's enough <laughs> that's enough but it's he just, doesn't yell at him he doesn't like push him off right, he's not like right. get nope. away from me he's just like oh, okay nope. well we did it that's enough hugging no um, anyway so now we cut to Ted meeting Rupert oh boy oh Ted meeting Rupert this is this is this is uh, no Darth Vader. In this show, he is. But no, it's worse than Darth Vader. He's 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 a Palpatine. This is this is like primeval body stature, and and then the hero of the show. Although I will say again, this season is about Rebecca. It's not about Ted. But anyway, agreed. So, but I I, no this real quick, and I but I think we can't overstate. I'm not saying to stay there forever, but I think we definitely have. Like this is it. Ted versus Rupert is like new manhood versus the patriarchy that like this is, you know, like I'm a boxing fan, you know, like that's great. The undercard's been great and Jamie and Roy and great. All of it's been fantastic and I love every bit of it. But when Ted and Rupert square off in a scene, that's mm-hmm. the show. That's everything this right. thing is about. This is this is Dumbledore. And and Voldemort, these are this who these people are, and so so it's interesting because I think they do. I, I bet this was a tough scene to write because you want Ted to be Ted, but also recognize mm-hmm. 
you know, who Rupert is and, and he's, he's going to get there fairly quickly. Um, so, you know, Ted, uh, Ted meets Rupert and he says, Oh, it's nice to meet you, Mr. Manning. And he says, it's Rupert, Ted, especially for the man who's managing my club. And, uh, Rebecca corrects him. Do you remember what she says, boss? It used to be your club. Used to be your club. Of course, of course, but it's still, you know, my club in here points to his heart. And, uh, Ted says it's a lifelong obsession. And just like the, my best friend in Kansas city, who's, Sister, I'm in love with whatever. Makes a make a joke, breaks the breaks the ice. Veteran um, move, by the way. As yeah. long as we're calling yep. that out. Yep, totally. And um, Rupert says, "I love that. I love that." Um, and I alluded to this in another episode, so I'm glad we're going to get to talk about it a tiny bit. I don't love our two losses, though. Horrible showing. Had to say it. Wish I didn't. Mm-hmm. Whatever, whatever that is. And I, I don't. Someone's going to tell us who listens to the podcast whether or not that's a. Uh, you know, UK dynamic, Mm -hmm. but, um, I really hate that. Like I'm a slave to the truth, you know, that you're a terrible coach. Um, God, that ruffled my feathers. I'm going to say that as a woman who briefly online dated, I don't think that is strictly a British thing. I did have a number of gentlemen say, I just have to say, and then something incredibly crude for absolutely no reason. And they're like, just had to say it. I'm like, well, no, you didn't have to say it. You wanted to say it. Right. At least own up to that. You wanted to be a dick. Just say it. Yeah. See, that's the maybe that's it. I I noticed on, on this and some uh, some later episodes, it, it was characters. It was British characters that were saying it, but I guess um, maybe it's just sort of a universal thing. Universal code for douchebag is someone <laughs> who says. I had to say, really wish I, um, I, I wouldn't notice the weight you've put on, but I have to I just have to call it out. But, but isn't, isn't, isn't it a bit of that? Like mistakes were made. I know. I mean, maybe we're bumping into a, an American thing or a dust thing. I don't know. But I, whenever someone goes in the direction of like, I'm sorry if people were offended or mistakes were made, like as if these things oh, happen in God. some like vacuum apart from the people who did them i'm like no it's not that people were offended is that you said an offensive thing um so at any rate i think there's some there's some of that not taking responsibility for it yeah um hiding hiding behind the passive voice yeah it happens all the time right yeah yeah mistakes were made um I'm sorry that you were offended by yeah. that. No, no, no. Right. <laughs> no, yeah. you're not sorry. Anyway, yes. So um, I think now um, I'm going to out myself as in general, in general, um, I noticed the juxtaposition here between the slickness of Rupert's dialect and how smooth he is and Ted's relatively sort of um, clunky yokel kind of persona. And I, I will say that I usually align myself with the, with the person with the British accent mm. <laughs> in, in situations like that's why they always cast British villains in in Bond movies and think oh not just Bond movies but the British villain just works it makes sense but um uh it was such an interesting dynamic to have like the hell 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 yeah all shucks like uh, going up against that like that slick demeanor um. There's this moment where Rupert says, do you remember what he says to um, to Rebecca? Uh, boss? Oh, I absolutely do. He says, not too much champagne, dear. You've got to stay sharp for the auction. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, dear again, after darling in yeah. public, you know, it's like, 
as soon as there's an audience there, he just starts lavishing her with these, you know, these pet names that, oh my God, I want to read his neck. Yeah, no, it's, um, uh, it isn't just offensive that he's doing it to someone who he has hurt and injured and betrayed and embarrassed in such a way. It is a problem that he would do that to her ever. Like, right, right. at any right. point, if you point. are trying to control your partner's food or alcohol ingestion, I mean, there might be some instances where they've really had too much to drink. But then, like, you take them aside and take their drink away and give them some water. You don't, in front of a bunch of her co-workers, say you need to make sure that you're not drinking too much. Like, it's blatantly it's disrespectful. Talk, it talk yeah. down her. It's abuse. Yep. It's abuse. I'm, I'm going to play this abuse. part for my wife and replace alcohol with burritos. And... Uh, <laughs> Because I think she's got some lessons to learn. You know, that'll be the I mean, You've had too many burritos, dear. Yeah. Now, now, yeah. dear. <laughs> yeah. You got to stay sharp. You don't want another burrito. Yeah. I, I mean, thought, yeah. I can already I, feel the knife that would be in my gullet if I said something. But I, I think it's interesting, too. And I hadn't thought about it until we brought it up now. But look at the, again, juxtaposing these two men, right? We start out with Ted wanting to say, I mean, what? how dare you say I love you to your wife, right? But because she doesn't want to hear that because he is not going to say it and he he catches himself saying it and says, I miss you. What's the thing I can say that is agreeable to you? Whereas here's Rupert who, boss, I'm totally with you. Like he's the one who should be making amends and like being like nice and hello, apologizing. And here he is intentionally using pet names saying I love you to someone when it absolutely doesn't mean I love you and saying it because specifically because he knows it will hurt. Um, They just couldn't be any different. Like what marriage is to one and what marriage was to the other. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, as I've gotten a little bit older, I've tried to rein in my temper to a degree. I still like having it close by just in case I need it. Um, But there was an occasion a few months ago where uh, and a friend of a friend, we were having not the most pleasant conversation. It was politically based and we were having a disagreement and I was mm-hmm. trying to keep it fairly civil. And at one point, this dude who I literally just met called me Emmy and oh. I lost my shit. Like the over familiarity when that is not called for, when right. it is also not being done because you're trying to make friends and think that this might be a cute pet name, but asserting the fact that you are allowed to be as familiar with a person as you want to be, regardless of how they feel about it. Mm-hmm. I, I freaked out. And I think that that's such a good point that Ted is trying so hard to respect Michelle's boundaries and make sure that he's only doing what she's comfortable with. And Rupert is intentionally smashing through Rebecca's boundaries and just polite society's boundaries. Like, don't treat mm-hmm. your ex-wife that way in order to prove that he can do whatever he wants to. Right. If there are no boundaries for him because everything's his. That's such a gross story, yeah. uh, boss. My, I, yeah, I wish you could no, see I want to go. I want to go. Uh, like, yeah. Now I want to go fight toxic masculinity on 10. Uh, I wish you could see my face because I look like one of the people... From Ted's Butterfinger story, like I, I almost <laughs> so made it. I'm, I'm one of those guys. I'm like so disgusted with like that someone made that choice. Yeah. Yuck. Yeah. Yuck. Yuck. Good for you. Thanks. Good for you. Um, 
Okay, so um, I'm shaking it off. So gross. Yeah. Settle down. Yeah. They're like, and legitimately, if somebody does it as like, you know, just sort of a trying to feel it out, I'll be like, oh, no, no, no. You could call me M. That's fine. But Emmy, no, not so much. It was it was also then that he got to. Uh, you know, hide behind the, oh, I was just trying to be friendly. Like, no, you weren't. Don't do that. Right. We, we know what's right. up. Come on. Yeah. I don't I talk it. to him anymore, obviously. No? Yeah. Shocking. <laughs> um, okay, so um, so he says, stay sharp for the auction. She says, why don't you do the auction? I hated this line, but it's mm-hmm. so, we talk about the difference between what's right and mm-hmm. what's real. She says, we both know they'd rather see you. Mm-hmm. And it kills me for her that she has to say that it kills me for her that she's right. Yeah. And he says, well, for the children, you know, she offers for the children. Well, for the children. Um, and then she turns to leave and he says, pouring more salt on the, on open sore of whatever the remnants of this relationship are. I must say that I love that dress. It's very youthful. Good for you. Getting back out there looking like that. Oof. Yeah. And now coach, I'd like to throw this yeah. to you. With with your incredibly poor theory that there is no villain <laughs> yes. in the show, go right ahead. We'll take, no, we'll take all well, the time. Here, no, here we go. Here we go. My argument is that Rupert and the patriarchy he represent are pathetic. That's my argument. My argument isn't I love Rupert and would love to have a drink with him. My argument is that I feel like the show shows us in very clear. Ter- I feel in very clear terms that he's sad. Like, he's just a sad man. Like, if you're so happy and you're living this carefree life, like, why are you here tonight? You could have been in, you could have literally been anywhere in the world. Why are you here, dude? You're here because it's the only place for you to be. Like, why are you met? Like, if you're moved on and you've got all these beautiful women, you had so many beautiful women, you couldn't even bother to take your ass home to your wife. Then why are you standing here bothering to care what your wife is wearing? Why'd you notice? Because you're pathetic. Yeah. Because you're pathetic. So that's that's my art. My argument isn't he's but, a good but guy. It doesn't exonerate him for his behavior. That's what I would say. No, 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 no. I'm not. But I guess I'm saying in the way that the show is treating him, I think he's not. I don't experience him as purely a villain because as he does these things, I find myself like shaking my head in part. Like God, like this is this is so sad. And you know, anyway, there there are examples to come, but I just found that that was so that was my that was my real point around it. Um, also, just any opportunity to tell you to shut up and that you're wrong is <laughs> got to be embraced. Yeah, I definitely. Can. I mean, <laughs> what I'll say is that I I definitely agree that Rupert is not nearly as over the relationship as he is pretending to be. Uh, in the same way that Rebecca would not be sabotaging Rupert's football club if she were fine with it, Rupert would not be showing up here if he didn't want to be there. So I definitely right. agree with th- the fact that this makes him pathetic. I don't think that being pathetic means that he isn't the villain. I think it just means he's the villain in a different way. Interesting. Um, and I think a really important part, I I don't want to start a senior uh, thesis on feminism or anything, but one of the things that I think gets lost a lot in the shuffle when talking about gender equality and gender identity and everything that goes into the elements of the patriarchy is that patriarchy prefers cis-het men and to a very large extent cis-het white men, but Mm -hmm. it injures everybody to a degree. And so Mm -hmm. Rupert is 
victimized by the patriarchy because it taught him that his behaviors were okay when they're not. And now he is pathetic and upset and showing up in order to ruin Rebecca's night because that's all he has left. Mm. And in a better world, when I am more evolved, I will somehow drum up <laughs> some, some wherewithal to feel badly I, I for him. Yeah. I just no, don't. I don't. I don't feel bad for him. I just recognize that he is not as okay. We're, we're all, we're all yeah, victims. I get it. I get it. Uh, it's a beautiful system we got here. Okay, so um, now he um, uh, she leaves. She says thank you to that horrible, horrible, offensive comment. Um, they, him and Ted have a Rupert and Ted have a little conversation about Robbie Williams. He's always oh, an old chum of man. I'm sure I can get him here. Um, and he says Showtime pats Ted condescendingly and moves past him. Now I loved this, and this is part of what I was getting to before. Mm-hmm. Coach, do you remember the line that he says to the bartender there? The Ted says once Rupert. He has gone. his beer, which you know he got started with the at the table, and he goes, "Can I get something stronger, Jack on the rocks or something? A double, and a single, in one." A triple. I, I, I've, I've, I've had uh, a little Jack Daniels in my day. And so I so related to that moment where you're like, this is going to take, uh, yeah, don't, uh, why don't you just give me the bottle and uh, save your, save your wrist, buddy. And uh, it's going to be one of those, it's gonna nights, be one of those right? nights. So yeah, I just, I, I just thought that was a great, um, yeah, that was a great moment for me of him. Also that Ted, Again, Ted knows, right? Like he knows what's going on here. He's playing it straight. He's not the guy who's going to, you know, poke. He's not going to go forehead to forehead with Rupert. Listen, someday we're going to come and we'll be able to uh, talk about this. Um, and, and in later episodes, we'll touch on this as well. You worry that part of being an evolved man, you know, the type we talked about how refreshing it was to see an avatar of a progressive mm-hmm. man, um, in a TV show, but also this is how Gilead happens, um, when you don't confront a Rupert. So anyway, we'll talk about that another time. Um, that's a, that's a handmaid's tale, mm-hmm. by yeah. the way, uh, coach. Are you a, are you a Handmaid's Tale person? I don't I think so. I watched the pilot, and given the current state of the world, said, "Oh my God, this is a documentary," and turned yes. it and, and, and never wore it, <laughs> never watched it again because it was too much. It was too so. Got it was it. it was actually uh, if such a thing is possible, and it happened to me, it was too good. The show was too good, and I said, "Yeah, no, nope, yeah, too, nope, too nope, close nope, to nope. home." A lot of people feel that way, right? Um, so we start on the Jamie Tart auction. Um, which is which is great. Uh, Cheryl Cheryl Barnaby, Richmond's premier breeder of Shetland ponies, is is in the lead to start. Um, Jamie ha- has a little talk with Keely, which says you got a bid on me, and there it ends up being this little bidding war. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, boss? Yeah. So it starts with a, a Jamie saying you have to bid on me because he recognizes that Cheryl's going to bid on him, and he doesn't want to be purchased by the older woman. And Keely says, I can't do that. You're my boyfriend. Like, it would be embarrassing to bid on my boyfriend. Uh, she finally relents during the bidding when it seems like Jamie is going to start bawling on stage if he has to go mm-hmm. on a date with Cheryl. And then after she bids, I want to say it's uh, 6,000 pounds because I've watched the scene a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Then somebody behind her, uh, a, a younger woman than Cheryl and conventionally more attractive, starts bidding. And then Keely starts bidding too. And then it becomes serious for both of them. 
Healy eventually ends up bidding 25,000 pounds. And as Rupert points out, why spend uh, time with your boyfriend for free when you could spend 25,000 pounds to do it? I think that it very nicely sums up the way that as much as you going into a situation think, I'm not going to make myself foolish. I am not going Mm -hmm. to sort of bow to this pressure. I'm not going to get wrapped up in this. Keely does see that another woman is bidding on her boyfriend and goes for it and goes all out. And is there anything, is there anything there to you in Keely's genuinely surprised look when she turns around and sees a woman much younger than mm-hmm. her? Yeah. Is there anything there that, that as a woman you would pick up on that we as men, while we're standing in our own fart auras, <laughs> 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 would not perhaps pick up on. You know, it's, it's sort of a reverse. Uh, the fact that Keely herself didn't find Cheryl's overt uh, sexual passes at Jamie at all threatening, but did find another woman bidding on her boyfriend threatening shows how much I think everybody on the show buys into patriarchy a little Mm -hmm. bit, even when Keely is confident enough in herself that she will let her boyfriend put up a topless picture of her in his public locker in the locker room. Even when somebody else hits on her boyfriend, that's not a problem. It doesn't become a problem until it seems like this person might be somebody who my boyfriend wants to go on a date with. And I think that's when she allowed herself to get wrapped up in it. And I, I mean, I don't know how much money she's making, but $25,000 to hang out with your own boyfriend is a shit ton of money. That's pounds. That's pounds, pounds sterling. Pounds, yeah, pounds or that's sterling, or, or yeah. euros at this point. Yeah. So that's like. Oh, no, not euros. It, yeah, it, no, they're, they're done with that, buddy. Yeah, well, oh, no, right. No, they're, they're right. Oh, we've no, 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 no. But UK never switched over to the euro. I needed to learn about that in my international accounting class. It is as oh, interesting as you think it is. I have learned so much during this recording. I'm learning about (laughs) currency. I've learned that that thing, because sometimes you experience something and you don't know what it is. You don't know the name for it. It's called a fart aura. So I can't wait to tell Daphne that. There you go. And then uh, I, I want you to know I created that. And and I love it. And uh, yeah, and Daphne shouldn't be shaming my burrito consumption. So like basically what we've done today is fixed my marriage with one episode. I want you to know that when I was thinking about getting this podcast going, I was like, if only we had someone with knowledge of international currency. (laughs) I mean, I don't understand how you don't know somebody else who already knows that. It's so useful. (laughs) No, it's true. I mean, you can't swing a swing a dead cat without hitting ten people. Yeah, all the time people are asking me who's on the euro and who's not, and I have answers. That's good. So, like so like um, Ted is outside with. Um, he goes out and he finds um, finds Rebecca outside, looking away from him. He's looking at the back of her head. She says, "Boy, those rickshaw bike things look so silly, but they do look like fun." Um, and Ted has. <laughs> A ridiculous. I want you just to bask in the stupidity of this next line. Okay. <laughs> Ted and his wife rented a tandem bike one time. She broke her arm. Okay. He chipped a tooth and bruised his perineum. <sighs> you know what the perineum is? That's the thing under your tongue, isn't it? It's your taint. 
It's your it's your taint. Oh no, that I'm wrong. I didn't know. He bruised the that's why because he said his tooth. patch of meadow between <laughs> your sphincter and your undercarriage. I mean, I I was just like, what happened in this in this tandem bike act? Anyway, ridiculous, ridiculous choices for the thing. Now he she turns around and um and we see that she's she's been um emotional and and she says something that stuck with me which she says that man he knows me that to me that brought back memories of of much ado about nothing um when beatrice says to benedict i know you of old is that kind of knowing like somebody he really knows me like fundamentally um and do you remember what she says to ted uh boss um about his blunt honesty I do. But before I address that, I would need to mention that the greatest line ever written regarding that feeling of knowing somebody from a time before is Annie Lennox in Why, who says, I may be mad, I may be blind, I may be viciously unkind, but I can still tell what you're thinking, which is the only thing I could think when I was watching this scene, because it's so perfect when you used to be in love with somebody so much and now you hate them, but they still know who you are. Kills me every time. That is perfect. Yes. Mm. Kills me every time. But um, what she says about his blunt honesty is that uh, she used to think that it was noble rather than what it really is, which is just the cruelest way of hiding his own insecurities. There it is. And he would say, eat this and wear that. And she says she she admits that she she listened. listened. Yeah. Oh, God. God. Because now you have to take stock. Now you're in the aftertime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when you're in it, you don't you don't have to address it as much because you just do it. You just, it just it's something that becomes part as much part of the relationship as any other part of the relationship. Um, once you capitulate to that sort of request or that sort of command in this case, um, I think it's easier to to go through it. And and there's a great line in another episode that we'll get to that talks about this this sort of how how Rebecca got where she got. Um but man, I listened and now I'm all alone just the way he said he'd be if I left him. And I thought I was thinking about that she's faced with the situation, they're talking it out and he gives her he threatens her, he puts this seed plants this seed in her brain fine you can leave me but you're going to be all alone i'm all you have mm-hmm. and and when you leave me i have everybody you know i have everybody and but you are going to be alone and we both know it yeah that is so toxic and so mm-hmm. um it may be true and and it, and this is why sort of you know she's having this voyage of of rediscovery and 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 trying to you know reimagine who she is as a person but it is it is i mean it is unbelievably cruel it's unbelievably cruel in that he did that to her and unbelievably cruel that she is now passing judgment on herself for things that mm-hmm. she wasn't wrong to do in the first place like mm-hmm. Part of what she said in And I Listened is that she's mad at herself for doing yes. a thing while she was in a relationship with a person that it, it wasn't her job to make sure that he didn't abuse her. It was his job to not abuse her. But society puts pressure on women in relationships, in almost all the relationships, to say, 
you should have expected that he was going to mistreat you and you should have found somebody better who wouldn't have. Also, though, you shouldn't have. Right. I think I think yeah. it's the no win of it all. Right. Oh, like, no, he is exactly who you should be pursuing. Like, you know, the announcement comes out that you're marrying him and everybody goes, great job. Like, truly, like not just congratulations to the happy couple, but no, no. Congratulations to you. You yes. landed the big fish. You made it. You are at the top of the heap. You got the rich guy. She and did I think, make it. Yeah, and, I think, st- and by every measurable standard, yeah, she hit it. the jackpot. Yes. That's it. This and is so, what it is. No matter what the issue was, no matter what we look back in time and say, okay, well, what was the flaw, the fatal flaw of this relationship? Guess whose fault it was? All yeah. was hers. Yeah. No matter what. She should have taken care of her man better. She right. should have been more understanding. She should have been. It doesn't matter. No one's going to listen to reason on these things. It's not based in logic. It's based in this this patriarchal uh, hierarchy and and that there a man of his status. When you get to that level, you have carte blanche to do whatever you want to do. And and even then, everybody is in on the lie together. All of us are complicit in it. And and uh, no matter what. It, it, no matter what the situation, it was always going to be her fault. Yep. Yeah. It's fun. When you say it out like that, it's, 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 yeah, it like does it. seem fair. It seems, it seems fair. Yeah. That's reasonable. It's, it's, like it's, I'm glad some people have thought through this. This is good. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I also think the creep of it, not that he's a creep, which he is, but I mean the creep that happens in a real version of this relationship. And I also do like that it's a real relationship. We totally buy could happen. It's not, again, cartoonish and, you know, um, in, in, in that sense. But in this, I know you thought when you started this that LL Cool J would be quoted and here you go. Um, Definitely. There's a, there's a, there's a line on it. <laughs> There's a line in Around the Way Girl where he says, um, I tell you, come here, you say meet me halfway because brother's been talking at Yang all day. And I always laugh on that line because I realized after I stopped being the kind of guy who did this um, that I used to do this, which is you find little ways. I didn't do it consciously necessarily, I guess, but you find little ways to tell somebody to do as you say. And you can't start with. Give me full. Give me your ATM card and your pin, right? You have to start with like I never got anywhere close to that, but like you know, you have to start with like give me a French fry, and so like I, I feel like I experienced the creep of it too. If I can tell you to come here and you walk over, we're headed down the road to where you make choices in your own life or you do allow yourself to be alone. I'm like, damn, does she know anything? She didn't know anybody before she met him. Like what she mean? What does he mean? She's going to be alone, but like, it's the creep of it. And I can yeah. just imagine it. Yeah. I can just see it happening. I could see the, the fight she had with her sister because the sister said something Rupert didn't like. And now the sister's not welcome to be around or whatever. Like I can just feel it. And that that's what happened in this relationship. It doesn't, it didn't start with her, believing she was going to be alone but by the time she got all the way to a certain point in it all it was totally it was on some level true as we're seeing yeah and also i love that you quoted around the way girl i I didn't think it was that good Mm, you, you were wrong I will say this. I have a Buttercup and Wesley level uh, relationship. And I even last Wednesday, the Buttercup in this relationship was like, you know, you just like 
tried to dominate me in that. And I was like, I, what? I did like, like oh, wow. as hard as you try, like even these tiny little things will creep oh, in. Yeah. She's like, Oh, do you know that you just like laid down the law in front of the family? I was like, Oh I, yeah. Oh, didn't I say we? She's like, no, no, you didn't, uh, didn't say we there, fella. You know, like, oh, damn. You know, like, as yeah. it, it happens, it happens everywhere. Um, yeah, for sure. So, um, okay. So, uh, Ted hugs Rebecca, uh, a little rickshaw guy, but beeps at them, which I'm like, that's the weirdest, most forceful, like most forward rickshaw guy. That's the, that's that guy. That's the Emmy of rickshaw drivers right there. Yes. Um, who just showed up and honked at them mid hug. was like, me, me, hey. No, yeah, we're good. Yeah, Hombre, you, like, what the hell? Do you guys um, want to get on this ride and pay me? Yeah, like, read, read the room, Rickshaw. Yeah, read the room, Rickshaw, right? <laughs> so, um, so anyway, she could she could flee. And again, absolutely love Rebecca. I'm so charmed by her. Um, she doesn't flee. She's like, no. Like, no. Right. He's ready to jump on that thing and take her away. Mm-hmm. Calgon, take me away. And she doesn't do it. Um, she stays, she, she cleans herself up. Um, she says, um, no matter what he does, they just love him, which again, is more and more mm-hmm. of the same hammering that drum. She says she looks like Robert Smith after he's woken up from a nap. Did you get, <laughs> did, did you get that, uh, that reference coach? I did not. Okay. I, I that's, did not. that's the lead singer of the cure. I don't know if you knew that. Ah, uh, it's a, it's a hysterical reference. And then Fresh off we, my LL quote, I know most listeners are thinking, "Really, you didn't know that?" Um, I know. But I, but I, in I'm, fact, did not. I'm know waiting that. for some. I know. <laughs> I'm wondering why I'm not getting Smith's quotes out of you, but um, that's okay. That's good. <laughs> we have this beautiful scene here with Jamie and Roy. I really love this scene. Mm-hmm. Um, Jamie is being Jamie and and pouting like the baby that he is. Such a child, vanilla vodka such a child mm-hmm. um and roy comes up to him which is again veteran move he's the one that's going to break the ice he says when i was coming up there was this prick named doug stashwick and we hated each other and you know but the reason we won is we got it all out so he says let's basically get it all out and so jamie starts and he goes no i'm going first oh so good and do you remember what he says to start this off uh boss yeah he says that um he knows that he should be passing to Jamie more, but Jamie is so selfish and arrogant every time he does pass that it makes Roy want to puke, which is so great because you've been in that situation where you know what you're supposed to do, but doing what you're supposed to do sucks. And so you don't, and then it makes yeah. everything worse. Yeah. Imagine it's like feeding, it's like putting a Pez dispenser into an ego monster. You're like, no, no, just like, I don't want to. I don't want to feed the beast. You're awful. Yeah. And, and coach, do you remember what uh, what Jamie says uh, to Roy? Actually, this was a uh, one of my favorite moments. Certainly to this point with Jamie, but he tells him that he had a picture of him on his wall, and it just made. I've heard different athlete stories, sort of in in that vein, and it, I guess I don't know that that not only that it's true, but that he shared it with Roy. I, I found pretty cool. But then he but then he goes on to say. Um, but that he's not the player he used to be. And, you know, basically just because he won a few trophies doesn't give him the right to walk around expecting everybody to kiss his ring. Um, so I, I thought it was. um, Yeah, it was a, it was as mature a moment as I feel we've seen Jamie have. Yes. yes. To that point. Yeah. And, and a little bit of insight, like we've we've mm-hmm. gotten to peel the onion back on Nate a little bit. We haven't seen a ton of, of, I think that's the first reference to Jamie's childhood, and 
you know, this poster of Roy Kent on his wall. My God. And now they hate each other. And I love Roy's just quiet. And he says, yeah, I can be like that. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. great. I, this is the first time that I think I felt sympathy for Jamie because he seemed like, I mean, it, forgive the language, but there's no other word besides twat for it especially given the context. Um, and this one, there was a very small part of me that imagined, you know, a, a 20 or 19 or 20 year old Jamie joining mm-hmm. Richmond or finding out he's being traded to Richmond and knowing that he's going to be playing with Roy Kent and then showing up and Roy Kent hates him. Like, how yeah. would you feel if you finally get to meet your hero and yeah. your hero thinks you're a dick? Like that's right. got, that's got to suck. Yeah. I'm not team Jamie, but that's gotta suck. You had your, he has that picture up on that wall in his dreams, they're teammates and they go to like that bar scene where, yes. you know, the vanilla vodka, like they drink that vanilla vodka together and have a rousing good time. And instead, you, this is where we are. Yeah. You know that Jamie yeah. used to daydream about winning the championship or uh, they don't have playoffs, winning right. a game with Roy and instead Roy hates him. Yeah. Well, Co- Coach Bishop is one of my heroes, and he hates my guts. So I, <laughs> I do sort of understand that. Soldier dynamic. on, son. Soldier yeah, on. And also, like, I'm glad this is the first time you felt anything for Jamie because I've liked Jamie since the get go, since the first second we met him, where he's looking in the mirror because I identify with a certain period of time in my life. I where think, as was... most men of this age will, where mm-hmm. you were very Jamie Tartish. So I'm good. I... This is this. This is where the ice is breaking for the non-male segment of the population, I guess. Well, it's interesting. I um, It's funny that you say that piece because I do sp- specifically remember only probably about 7% joking. I'm like 16 years old and standing in front of a mirror with no shirt on. Um, and my mom comes by and basically tells me to stop admiring myself. <laughs> and I say, and I remember this distinctly because I remember the look on her face. I say... Mommy, admit it. I wasn't born. I was chiseled. <laughs> and she just looked at me like no response. She just looked at me, walked into her bedroom and closed the door behind her. Like, I officially have given up on this. Wow. It was wow. great. Great, That's great amazing. moment. I distinctly remember it. So, yeah, I think I have a little sense of what you're talking about, coach. That was that was last Wednesday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, then I logged on to uh, do the podcast with you guys. I was still looking great. Uh, now Roy reminds him. Now's the bit where you admit where you admit to what I said, and Jamie says, "I don't, I don't wanna," even if it's a little bit true, which is about as much as you're gonna get from Jamie. Mm-hmm. And then there's this great moment. You and that Doug bloke ever become friends? Fuck no. I hope he's dead. And Jamie says to you, dying. Which I was like, oh, that is great. You're such a prick, Royce. And I was like, that is fantastic. Now we have the yeah. the interaction where, again, a little little Dumbledore and, uh, and Voldemort scene here where Ted lets Rupert know he knows he's full of shit about the Robbie Williams thing. Mm-hmm. Or he says, you know, if, if you could have texted him to come, you probably could have texted him not to come. And uh, he says, well, that would have made me a real piece of shit, wouldn't it? Mm. Well, he's a real piece of shit. But I love, by the way, Ted doesn't answer him. He lets that question hang there, which is just to me more of Ted going like, no, I I am in fact letting you know I know you're a piece of shit. Now, I'm not going to be the one who says that. 
Yeah. You said it, not me, but I'm going to let you say it. What is it? A, is it a, is it a, um, where, where do you give up all your power? If you talk first, is it a police, um, interview? If you mm-hmm. get arrested, aren't you supposed to just sit say there nothing. silently? Just yeah, say nothing. Say nothing yeah. Cause mm-hmm. you lose all the power once you say it. There's a little bit of that with Ted. He just kind of nods his head a little bit. Like mm-hmm. he, he, you know, shakes his head. It's not really a nod, but, um, yeah, well, it's the negative version there. of the the Rebecca moment. Now that I think about it, right? Isn't it? It's sort of like there is actually no good response here. Either I'm going to pretend this didn't just happen, which it clearly did, or I'm going to tell this man to his face that I think he's a piece of shit and a liar. Uh, you know what? Silence is free. I yeah. think I'll uh, use it. It's a good. It's a good setup, and you wonder if later on down the road in this series we're ever going to see sort of. A, a more overt um, mm-hmm, competition mm-hmm. between Ted and, and Rupert um, confrontation. So um, that's the foreshadowing bell. That's it. Ding. <laughs> what a brilliant <laughs> podcast. <laughs> um, so um, Ted realizes, okay, he's got to, he's got to do something because his friend, Rebecca, who's having a hard time, she's still wiping the coming back from, from, looking like the cure on the sidewalk outside is uh is about to have no no entertainment for the evening he says i need a co-pilot he grabs higgins and higgins is like what you need me and he says yeah, do, do you guys remember boss do you remember what he says to higgins which i loved he said forget the rest i need the best follow me which is <laughs> forget I the mean, rest i need the best you're the best he's identifying him as the best that's like the kind of thing where higgins would like look over his shoulder and be like oh but, oh i'm me, I'm the best? Okay, cool. I have so, a right. feeling that if Ted Lasso were a slightly different man, he definitely would be the person to say, you need to drop that zero and get with a hero. Like, yes, that's the right. thing he would say. Yes, absolutely. I, I, think, I don't even know if he has to be different. I feel like uh, that, that's like going to be a scene from episode two. Okay. <laughs> I mean, season, season two, for sure. Um, so Higgins gags, which is a nice little little mm-hmm. callback. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get a great scene. And see, we just keep saying these are great scenes. Um, we get Keely and Rebecca in the loop. Mm-hmm. And you want to walk us through that, boss? Sure, because I loved it. I loved it so much. Um so they're in the loo, and Rebecca thanks Keely for the advice on the red carpet, says that the pictures are out already, and she doesn't look halfway bad, which is a ridiculous statement because we can see what she looks like. Mm-hmm. But also, as the least photogenic person alive, I understand where she's coming from. Um, at that point, hmm. Rebecca also says that the woman who had been bidding on Jamie, the other woman besides Keely, was in fact Jamie's other plus one. Uh, Keely says, you know, that he's a cheeky little prick. Uh, the conversation moves on, and I, I don't want to get too much into the analysis right now because there's still so much left in the scene. But one of the things that I didn't occur to me until I had rewatched it a couple of times is that Rebecca was the one who had done the place seatings, which means that not only did she know that Jamie had a second plus one, but that she put the second plus one not at Jamie's table. It's not like he was bringing his date and his mom and this was okay. She Mm. knew that there was another woman who uh, Keely wouldn't want to know about, and she put her at a different table. Oh, great Yeah, yeah. Wow, I didn't think about that piece. It it took me a few times, but, you know, the combination of her being very invested in the table seatings and then her knowing this, I... I feel like Rebecca wants 
people to be treated well, but sort of in her quest to ruin Rupert, she's lost sight of even somebody else being put in the same, another woman being put in the same position that she was in and not protecting her immediately. She's yeah. the Higgins. She's the yeah, Higgins. I was going to say, she's that's exactly right. Yep. She's Higgins. Well, it also, wow, wow. Um, Seriously, but it, it really stop feeds. making good points, oh, boss. Geez, Dirk, <laughs> well, I, I gotta think mind. about this for a minute. I gotta like breathe into a bag for a second. <laughs> what would you oh pay God. me for otherwise, though? Come on. <laughs> I love that. That's wow. That's really a great point. And I, I think there's something built in here and there's so much political, sociopolitical stuff in here in general, but there's something around the fact that at a certain point, part of the trick is to get people to participate in their own oppression. Yeah. And I think that that's a great moment of her going, yeah, nah, I'm going to tell her, screw this, that, um, I really enjoyed. Like it's almost, it's it's as revolutionary an act as, as is going to happen in a in a sh- in a show, you know. People yeah. participating in their own oppression. So we have a great, great, amazing point by Boss. A phenomenal quote by Coach. There is a concept in the world where you, to be a good manager, um, you make sure you're surrounded by people who are much much smarter than you. And I'm getting that right now. <laughs> <laughs> Participate in your own oppression. This is now me blinking like Homer. (laughs) Wait, what? It's so true. That's an amazing, amazing point. Um, You guys are, you guys are sharp. God damn it! You sharp cookie. You sharp cookie. Yes. (laughs) A little, little mystery, (laughs) mystery. uh, What do you say? Little mystery puzzle. puzzle. Little mystery puzzle there for you. Well, don't worry because now I'm going to talk about drunk girls in college bathrooms. Because oh, thank God, thank God, yeah. something Let's do I know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right after Rebecca tells Keeley that Jamie had a second plus one, without acknowledging Rebecca's own complacency, complacency in her being there, uh, Keeley's response is cheeky little prick. Uh, then asks Rebecca if she's ever dated a footballer, and Rebecca says, "You know, of course not." And Keely says that when she was 18, she started dating a 23-year-old footballer. And now she's almost 30 and she's still dating a 23-year-old footballer. Which I thought was really interesting, especially considering that in a lot of ways she seems not only comfortable in this role and in this world, but also incredibly competent. Like she knows how to tell Jamie what to do so he will get more endorsements and everything else. And this seemed like the first indication that this was no longer enough for her. Mm -hmm. Um, I really loved that it was Keely did something nice for Rebecca. Rebecca does something sort of nice ish for Keely. They have a moment where they kind of bond and they acknowledge each other in these different ways. Um, You know, the conversation ends with Rebecca saying is Keely, I should say says, you know, footballers are still fit and fun and it's fun to hang out with them because they have money. And Rebecca says, but are they accountable? So I feel like Rebecca really saw Keeley saying, I'm not entirely satisfied with this anymore. Mm-hmm. And pushed her to consider if she deserves more than that. It was a very grown up, very British way of doing the drunk college girl bathroom pep talk. Which... Mm-hmm. Is the opposite. I think in the last show, we talked about uh, a beautiful woman coming into an auditorium with a bunch of men and women and the women having sort of a chemical visceral reaction. 
And this is the opposite of that. I can't, I I don't want to make it a universal experience, but I will say there are not a lot of white women who went to college who have not walked into a bathroom, met a stranger, and before the end of the conversation have not said, I love you. It is a thing we do. We're like, all of a sudden, whatever's going on, we're going to hype you up and you don't deserve that dude. And then we go buy you a drink and we never talk to you ever again for the rest of our lives. So I love the scene, even if it was done in a way that, if it, even if it was done in dresses that I will never be able to afford. Right. That's a good point. That's amazing. You know, you're bringing up something that I that I put in the notes that something I really, really love about Keely in general. And this is sort of not applicable here, but we see it in later episodes. But Keely, um, I haven't seen her on this show treat another woman unfairly. Um, mm-hmm. or be or, t- or look down her nose at them, or sort of you know you, you just you just see her like being a I don't know what the right an ally I guess to other women first and foremost uh, mm-hmm. no matter what the situation is and I see it a lot as uh, in in the show and um when we when we're talking about this like she's being so I mean there's she just is herself with Rebecca and you know. She talks about, you know, you, you think about her doing the work like she's been considering this. You know, there's something really charming about the fact that she's 30 and she's considering the 23 year old football. She makes a great Leonardo DiCaprio joke. Um, <laughs> she's admitting that they're fun, simple, rich and fit. And Rebecca says, like, but are they accountable? And this is like a, you know, you, this may have been the elusive concept for her as she was trying to do this analysis. Mm-hmm. You know, she's like, well, they are simple. They're rich. They're fit. Like, okay, good. Like, what? You know, and then Rebecca's like, oh, I'll introduce the concept of accountability. And everyone makes mistakes, but I was married to a man for 12 years and he never once took responsibility for any of them. And she slides her drink over to, to Keely, which is a lot of that dynamic you're talking about, about women in, in, in restrooms, which is, um, Good. I'm glad that happens again oh, from the I, world as an ambassador from the world of men. Good. <laughs> oh yeah. A lot happens a lot. So, um, now, um, Keely comes outside and this is again, like another more, another part of this example. She could be like, what are you doing? Talking to my man. She sees this knockout, um, um, who we find out is named Bex. And she says, Hey, I'm Keely. How are you? Like, like, so, so nice to meet you. She's so pleasant. And I'm like, God, I just love Keely. Um, she says, do you mind if I just have a minute on my own with this one? Bex is like, sure. Bex is nice. No problem. No, no drama. She walks away and Keely says, is she your new girlfriend? Which I was like, that is, <sighs> that's, that's a tough pill to swallow. Just to even put that out, <laughs> to put that line, line out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot in that. And, mm-hmm. um, do you remember what what um, Jamie says to her boss? Yeah, he says, um, "Relax, it's all part of his branding plan." In order to having two women bidding for him will make him seem more desirable. I'm gonna check in here just uh, for my own sake and the sake of all men. Is it true, boss, that the number one best thing you can say to a woman who's clearly pissed at you is "relax"? Is that? <laughs> Yeah, seriously. Because I know I've read that. I need to get clear right now if that was absolutely the number one answer on the board for Jamie. 
I'm, or should we just use like settle down? You're being hysterical. Like, you're being the, hysterical. I understand. Another great one. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. I mean, I know that you guys are joking about this. I think that Jake, <laughs> I, I, I understand it's a joke. I think that Jamie was actually in this instance. I am not a Jamie fan. I am not team Jamie, but I understand that he was making an effort it to assuage her fears that he was leaving her and that he was trying to do right by her because what he didn't say was calm down, which is the worst. That is the mm. fucking worst. Calm down is 100% the worst thing to say to a woman ever. Got yeah, it. but shouldn't they? And I mean, probably. Oh my Jesus God. Christ. I, mean, oh my, I, I, I reflectively ducked. If that's it. <laughs> Oh, no one's gonna hit me. Oh, this is good. This is good. This is great. You're a brave is, man. Poor, poor, stupid Jamie. Not only does he tell her to relax, not only does he have a second plus one that is hidden away at a separate table, but when he says relax, he says it's all part of my branding plan, which is what she does. It's not just uh, that he had a secret woman. It's also that her territory is making sure that he is getting all of the branding. And he right. says, oh, don't worry. That was in order to piss you off. I hid this from you because right. I'm doing a thing that you handle behind your back. It's the worst mm. combination of things to do. Mm. Wow. Oh, wow. Great point. Making it real tough to stay on Team Jamie here. Mm, well, <laughs> I mean, he, he is him. He is, he, so, he is him. So now we have Roy bidding. Roy is up on stage. Um, Rupert tries to play it up, saying they're going to be at a swanky hotel drinking frozen daiquiris and soaking up the rays. And Roy grabs the mic, like, <laughs> no daiquiris, <laughs> no rays. There's not going to be a fucking pool either. Oh my God. We're not leaving SW14. I. <laughs> what a. <sighs> God, Roy is beautiful. Um, so and and interspersed with that, they're talking about um, uh, that Jamie said you um, you look so jealous. It was cool, and 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 Keely says, "Oh, you think jealousy is cool?" So she starts to do a bidding thing, and eventually loses out to um, Cheryl Barnaby, who is a motivated yeah. buyer. Can't lose out on Roy too. I thought it was. I thought that piece with the 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 argument and the bidding. I thought it was. I, I liked it on a couple of levels, but one of the ways I liked it is sometimes we tell on ourselves and we don't know it. And I thought it, I thought, yeah, you're making him jealous or, you know, doing something to make him jealous. But that's a specific thing. Like you could have made other choices. You made that choice. Like if I were her as, as her friend later that night, if I get to, you know, wedge myself uh, into the fun after and say, Hey guys, how's everybody doing? I kind of, I also want to say like, yeah, but you know, with a room full of men, there are all sorts of ways to make them jealous. You chose that one. Just oh saying. yeah. The way she chose was Roy. Like, right. Yeah, she could have hit on anybody. She yes. intentionally made it a thing with that guy. Absolutely. Right. So it was an and, and believe me, I, if 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 it was if Boss was there, she would have chosen Rupert to hit on. Mm. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> I know that of I keep, I would have. I, I, I keep joking about quitting this podcast, but now here we are. It's actually happening. Yeah, yeah. We're at that now. I've done. It's true. Yeah. Um, good. Good day. I bet I said good day. Yes. Um, so um, now we have the moment where Rupert um, 
donates a million pounds to steal the show once again. Oh, uh, so he's just really charming and kind of fun to be around. Right. And and then um, he hands Rebecca the check. See you next year. Or what is it? Wasn't see you next year moment, but um, was he hands her the check? She doesn't say anything. Well, they do the for the children again. Yeah, the for, for the, the children. children. There you go. That's the children, right? For the children again, which is another beat, and we're going to come to that back to that in other episodes. And then um, Ted saves the show by bringing in Cam Cole. Uh, Rebecca doesn't even know. She has no choice in the matter. So she says, hello again, ladies and gentlemen, we have a brilliant replacement for you. She, you know, she has to break the news. It's not going to be Robbie Williams, but, um, what does it say that Robbie Williams is pals with Rupert? I don't really know. Says, uh, boss. S- says he's a punk. If he's willing, if he's willing to be friends with Rupert and Rupert says cancel last minute and do fuck over this charity event. Says he's right. a punk. I'm right. hoping that uh, Robbie Williams is somehow a friend of somebody on the show and that this was cleared with him because his good name has been tarnished yeah. for 35-year-old yeah, white actually. women across the country. He's no Robin Williams. Exactly. <laughs> so um, anyway, so his dad she says, would be so ashamed. He says, <laughs> he says um, uh, we have a brilliant replacement for you who you're going to love or at least have lots to talk about on the way home. Um, and then uh, all the way from outside, please, <laughs> please, please welcome Cam something. Um, and he starts out with Obolix and then he kills it, which is really nice. Well, um, hold on. I have quickly the, all the way from outside. I is cackled. It? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just cackled laughing. Um, but I but I think it's important because of who Ted is and we get a great attack because he does this. We get a great performance because he does this. He he says he, he might be a genius when he when he's walking out and sipping his coffee. All sorts of people are walking by that guy. All the time. And from the first time he saw him and each time he's gone by him, we watch him note Cam. He hasn't necessarily stopped to talk to him. He hasn't said, hey, you ever play a halftime show? Like, But he has noted him. And so when the moment comes that would be perfect for him, he's aware of him. Right. Yeah. Like he, in, a wor- in a world of invisible characters, yes. he is not. He is visible to Ted. Everybody he, yeah. is visible to Ted. He is yeah. visible to Ted. And I think I think that's deeply important. Like that's yes. part of the solution here. And, and the fact that like, you know, I'm bringing it back to Princess Bride. I have that on the brain, I guess. But mm-hmm. Wesley says, we are men of action. Lies do not become us. When Rupert was busy lying. He was out being a man of action, doing yes, something like all of this it. was been happening, and he yeah. was jogging through the streets, carrying drums and you know like kick right. drums or whatever yeah. Cam Cole has to make sure this happened with Higgins, and um and he got it done, which is which is amazing. And yeah, um, and super sorry, go ahead, boss. No, no, no I was just gonna say um, this was the scene the first time I watched it. There is a musical cue when Ted is coming in. And the only thing I could think at the time is that it's vaguely Cameron Crowe-ish when Cameron Crowe is on and good and that it mm. feels sort of uh, hopefully optimistic in a way that doesn't seem overwhelming. And I was, mm-hmm. it wasn't until I watched it again that I realized that that set the scene that it could have been such a disaster and Cam Cole could have made Rebecca humiliated in front of all of these people that she would already been humiliated in front of all night. Mm-hmm. And instead he fucking crushes it. 
And it made me so happy. Like, it wasn't just that he said bollocks, that you were worried that it was going to be horrible because he was some street performer. And then he rocked everyone's face off. It was that they did it in a way that made it seem normal because Ted had been paying attention enough to him to know that he wasn't going to embarrass Rebecca at her function. Yes. And how about upending the caste system by putting a uh, untouchable On at stage. the center of attention? Yeah. Hell, I mean, like, hell yes. Yeah, there's just a lot. There's a lot going on there. Um, so, um, yeah, and also I like that he included Higgins in the win. That's a that's mm-hmm. a team victory. It's never just about Ted. So um, we we have a quick quick cut, and this is like very, like wedged in uh, where Beard uh, <laughs> and Jane are having their are having their match, and she just wants to go dance, and he's perseverating. He just cannot leave this. Um, this this beat untied. I have uh, I, uh, <laughs> one of my <laughs> one of my sons um, is on the spectrum, and it, man, if he gets an idea, I will see him just hovering around. Like I'll be in the kitchen, I'll peek out. He's just staring at me from the dining room. Like, uh huh, okay, I know what this is. Like he has to get mm. that thought out of his head because he's just like, I have to finish this game. I mm-hmm. cannot just leave and and go dance i have to say checkmate but that's what loses him the girl he puts the game before the dame it's game yeah, before the dame that was great so now we see we see higgins grooving uh rupert says good night and we'll see you uh see you all next see you next year to um to uh, rebecca and uh she says can't wait and ted says what a charmer huh and he says this great line. I just love this line. Can you tell us what that line is, boss? Do you remember what he says to to Rebecca outside when Rupert's walking away and putting that coat on Bex? Of course I do. He says, you may think you're the only one who could see who really is, but you're not. And what I love so much about it is that he doesn't over-insert himself into it by saying, because I can too, because... I'm as perceptive as you are, or whatever. Mm-hmm. He just says, you're not, you're not the only one who can see who he is. You're not by yourself in this. She's not alone. Yeah. He's like the whole, her whole thing was, I don't want to be alone, Ted. And he lets her know unequivocally before he leaves, you are not alone. Yeah. Who else sees it? Keely. Yeah. We talk about how associate, they both specifically articulate to her each in their specific way. Yeah. I didn't like that. And that was bullshit the way that story got told. And I see that, you know, and I see the bullshit. So, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, great point. I also think I also saw who Rupert was, just in case we're giving out awards. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was on to him pretty early. And um, I mean, I'm pretty good at this. So whatever. I mean, you know, I don't want to right? so, Okay. So, so, <laughs> so um, okay. So. Now we get to Beard stumbles out. He's the he puts the you know pulls pulls uh, coach away, which I love. I love coach. You know, wait up, coach. Now we got a nice beat at the end. Jamie and Keely at the bar. He says, "You're gonna stop being mad at me now." Sorry, babe. And do you remember what she asks him there, coach? Um, when he says, "Sorry, babe," if she asks him if he knows why he's sorry, which I I you know, I I love the question, and then I also love. Her response, I mean, his response, which is you always ask me that because it shows like he's so immature that he doesn't like, yes, she always asked you that. Have you ever stopped to wonder why she's always asking you that? Yeah. Right. Like that's lost on him. Like, it's almost like he thinks she's got like a like a a verbal tick 
Yeah. It's like, no, it's because you don't, you don't get it and you're not getting it. So I just, I loved that that was his response because it was just so clean and so clear. Like, it's not just he doesn't get what happened tonight. He doesn't get it. Yeah. And so, yeah, if she's looking for accountable, if she's looking for something beyond what she was discussing in the in the loo uh, with Rebecca, she ain't getting it from him. Absolutely. I, I also I don't want to be a Jamie apologist, um, but I'm going to be for a second here. There is a I don't know if Jamie can get it at this point in his life. I don't know if like without, you know, it's like without suffering, you don't grow kind of thing. Like, I don't mm. know if he's able to stand back and understand it. Um, well, I yet. would, I would yes. And that a little bit, I get what you mean. And in the context of our society, you know, greater society, obviously they're not here in, in the United States, but just in the world, right. Essentially. Um, I get that we, we pull a lot of boys will be boys stuff and, and have this idea that, oh, girls mature faster and all this magical stuff that, you know, women can, be held responsible for holding the house together if need be um if if need be for um for everyone but that guys you know what what whatever will they do and what do you mean i can't microwave aluminum foil um <laughs> so yes on that level i get that he doesn't get that you can not microwave aluminum foil on another level like He's had time enough to learn that. And so I say yes to the point you're making about guys in the way we understand the world, but also it ain't got to be that way. And it's that way because we make it that way. Fair point. So they're interrupted by somebody who kind of just pushes right into the middle of the conversation. And can you walk us through that, boss? Yeah. So Roy pops up and I liked so much that Roy didn't really even acknowledge the fact that Jamie and Keely were having a conversation and he addresses Keely and says, you know, the next time that you're having a little fight, don't use me as your prop. You made me feel like an idiot. And he starts to walk away and Keely makes sure to step up to say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. And he says, thanks. And it becomes it's like genuine, right? It will. And it almost immediately becomes, it, it doesn't immediately, it, immediately becomes clear that one, Keely really understood and, you know, digested what Rebecca had told her, not just that men should be accountable to you, but that being accountable period is important. And she immediately demonstrates how she's going to be accountable to Roy. And also that Roy's response to her, I'm sorry, is thanks. Because he understands that when she says, I'm sorry, she knows what it was for and that she means it. It's like indirect opposition to the sorry that was just given by Jamie, who was doing it as the gesture. Like you say you're sorry and then we're fine. And that's not what right. happened. In He's the doing it by rote. Yep, yeah, exactly. But I, I, I also think off the, the back of that, you know, back to, you know, Jamie can't get it right now, which I think you're right about, Coach, is even watching it modeled in front of him. He doesn't get it. Yeah. Yeah. Like he just watched it happen. Like you did a thing. It upset a person. You genuinely apologize. And not always because it's not their job. But oftentimes, if you do that, it's all good. It's yeah. over. Yep. And instead, he says, no one was bidding on you anyway, mate. Just fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I think uh, Coach Castleton, you said, you know, 
something about how he can't get it yet because there's a, a, a level to which somebody needs to suffer before they could actually understand that. Um, I think that we learn more later about Jamie and his character, but I would say that that mm. isn't necessarily about him not suffering. That's about his suffering being disregarded in a way by the people around him previously, where mm. you don't have to actually make that connection or be accountable. Because if you say, I'm sorry, that's all we're going to do with it. So, so he, so Jamie eggs, he tells Roy to go on Keely and Roy share a look. Um, I remember feeling like, like a little tingle, like, Ooh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. pretty excited about that. I don't know what's, what's coming up, but, um, you know, you hope, you hope that there's, there's something down that road. They just seem like they are on the same, uh, you know, sort of Vonnegut level wavelength kind of thing. And, um, mm-hmm. she says to Jamie, being accountable matters once Roy's gone. And she says, we're done. Mm-hmm. We're done. Which we were like, oh damn! Like we're in episode four. Like, yeah, right, wow. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Um, he goes, whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> an idiot, just an idiot. Oh God, so empty. I um, will say, I was a little bit surprised. I, I knew Keely was not going to be with Jamie for good. Basically, in the first episode, her interaction with Jamie versus her interaction with Ted, I knew mm. right away this was not going to mm. last. I was, did, did some other woman tell you about this in a bathroom somewhere? Or did you figure this? <laughs> I'm just curious. You seem to have an insight that I. Anyway, go I, ahead. Sorry. I've watched a lot of TV. Is the only thing yeah. I could imagine. Um, I was pleasantly surprised that they were done with it as quickly as they were. They didn't. There's another show that I watch that I don't want to talk shit about because it's. I like it. It's a fun show to watch. It isn't crafted as well as this one. Um, I, I'm thinking I should call it, let's say, Satan, although that feels like I would that's too easily identifiable. So we'll hmm. call it uh, a Devil and Cop. And on Devil okay. and Cop, they do a lot of, we should be doing these things, but first we're going to have to figure out how we feel about them. Oh, but we feel weird about them. Maybe we should talk about it for a couple of episodes. And do you think mm. we should talk about it? And like the show never does any of that. There's never any, we are going to build lines in order to make the plot happen. It's we're going to do these things that seem like they make sense. Keely would be exposed to Ted. Rebecca would be exposed to Ted. Keely would be exposed to Rebecca. Keely would figure out, oh, I shouldn't be dating Jamie anymore and then be done with it. And I love that they just banged it out without filling it or dragging it out for two or three more episodes. There's a there's a knock on some if there is a knock on Bill Lawrence with, with some episodes. It's that some things feel too pat. And I gotta say, like I didn't mind. Like like oh, isn't it pat that that uh, Ted would walk by a, a street performer that he will later you know sort of hire for the the one in a million gig. Um, a criticism could be, oh boy, isn't that awfully convenient? But I'm, t- and you know, <laughs> s- similarly for this for this scene, but I it didn't bother me a bit. I thought they were both beautifully handled. Yeah, I think if you've if you've laid the groundwork, I don't mind when you put that building up. Also, I think it's true to character. And in the beginning of this episode, wasn't the first time he'd noticed that person. And he also noticed the, 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 the girl playing soccer in the park. Right. I mean, like it is again, the thing that made him 
look at Nate the Great's play is the thing that made him go, that guy's pretty good. Yep. And so I, I, I bought it. I know what people are saying. And, you know, sometimes you do feel like set up, you know, um, but that's, that's, I think all of life is one long setup for, for, um, Ted. And he's always just looking for the payoff. Our, our whole lives for the, all three of us have led us to a place where we do take half hour shows and talk about them for three millennia. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, put a fucking cork in it, am I right? Let's, you I know what? It. One more hour. Let's go. Let's one go. More, let's, let's break let's the go. record. Let's go. So, um, you know, this, uh, by the way, one thing I'll say is this harkens back to the, everybody making being visible to Ted harkens back to the first moment they got to Richmond and they were walking around and Ted was taking everything in, watching people play soccer, mm-hmm. you know, noticing everything. Mm-hmm. I think he may have noticed the, the singer, mm-hmm. Cam Cole. Yeah. At that scene and coach is like all right we got to go coach like beard is like all right we're going to stay on schedule but it's just it's always been there so it, i guess it's one of the reasons it doesn't feel too pat it feels like it was woven in properly um okay so um keely at the bar turns around grabs a bottle of champagne she's like excuse me can i take these two i really like that oh, god i really like that personality type i've never been that person i'm always nervous too mm. nervous to to be like you know whatever she's like whatever this is like a paid event she just does it i just really like that yeah sort of that's charm that is a pro move that yeah, is a total I, pro move because that that champagne has been paid for it's, yes that's don't worry yeah. about it yeah yeah the bartender's like i don't know i don't I give care a like, what? Like, seriously yeah. you just well, saved me two bottles i don't have to put away take three Yes, I'm, as a former bartender, believe me, that is what that bartender was thinking. Yes, exactly. I was going to say, as a as a caterer in college, we had to uncork so many bottles of champagne for the toast explicitly. They couldn't mm. pay attention. You just had to buy like two hundred bottles to start with and hope. So yes, absolutely take that bottle. I'd like to point out that I was a bartender and a caterer, <gasps> and thus the perfect bridge between the two of you. This is why this okay. works so well. See? Um, okay, so I loved this moment because it felt like, um, oh, this is like so nice. I love whatever this is. Keely grows out. She walks outside. <laughs> do you remember, boss, what she says to Rebecca outside? She says, do you want to go get like really drunk? And Rebecca says, yes, I do. <laughs> so this is... Isn't this kind of perfect that at yeah. the end of this night, you know, like I think about you think about how many nights of your life when you were that age, when you were single, mm. you, you know, like there's this thing like, who am I going to end up with this night? Or I don't know. Mm-hmm. There's like these moments of like, how's this all going to play out? And you never know what the intermingling sort of sort of variables are going to be. And some some of the best nights of your life are the ones where you go, I could never have dreamed that this is how that night this night end. was going to end. Right. right? right. And you just can't even in your wildest dreams imagine that that was the scenario that would play out. And I sort of in watching this, there was no part of me thinking like these are the two players who are going to end up on the <laughs> steps of the thing with the two models of shit, right? And right. I was like, this is so, there's something so winning about it. There's something so yeah. charming and fitting. And I like this team. I'm like, I like this team. I don't know what this team is, right. but I just like it. Well, um, did you guys have that sense, well, Coach? I, for me, what I love, as you were just describing it, what just jumped out to me, is they're the two who shed 
the patriarchy that night, right? Yeah. Like at either end of the age scale, but essentially the same not accountable bullshit guy. And it's like, no, that's not where we are anymore. One has already gone through the whole process of a divorce. The other one said, I'm done. But ultimately, they both were done with that man, in quotes. And so I, I, I thought it was, yeah, I I, I love that moment and was gleeful. Also, there's something super fun, not to encourage bad behavior, kids, but there's <laughs> something super fun about commencing drinking with the intention of getting drunk with a friend. Like there's something that's a very fun, we are going to sit and we're going to talk and we're going to laugh. Like, it's not just like, let's drink this and see if we take a blood test, if our blood alcohol content's going to go up. It's we're going to get super real with each other right now. And we've both agreed to it. So yeah. I thought that was a, a, a very, a very nice moment. Yeah. They were in, they wanted to go get like really drunk. I think also there's an aspect of this, you know, Ted needed his uh, triple of Johnny Walker on the rocks and Rebecca hadn't been able to have champagne all night because she was supposed to do the auction or she was in charge. There was this big event that she's been working on all day. Keely just broke up with her boyfriend. It's a Friday night. They have a rickshaw. They don't have any responsibilities, ideally in the morning. Like they had shitty days and they're going to go get drunk together. I say do it. I think it's great. It, it's no, yeah, great. it's really um I don't know. It, it just it was a great it was a great button on on the episode. Um we we cut from them to they say Keely's like, "Yes, I do." She's looking to rob a bank or something. We cut to Ted walking with coach Beard. Uh he says little little setup for for next week's episode. He says, "Oh, Michelle and Henry are coming out next weekend." So I guess we're guessing Michelle is his wife and Henry's his mm -hmm. child. Um, Beard pats him uh, on the back. And then they ask about Beard. What happened with Beard's girl? He says, oh, you put the game before the dame again, huh? When are you going to learn, coach? <laughs> Which is like, oh, man, they've been down that road before. And we get a final mm -hmm. moment of what happens in that final, final moment, coach? Well, we get uh, the, a rickshaw coming by and uh, who's who's in there already on their way to drunkenness and right and laughing in a rickshaw. But Rebecca and Keely, which I thought was awesome. It's good. We're, we we're, closed by the song Kids by Robbie Williams. And we are out. Even though Robbie what? Williams is still a punk. Only because of his relationship to Rupert. Mm -hmm. I'm going to need him in real life to publicly I'm, disavow Rupert just to make sure he understands how bad this looks for him. We're going to have oh, to check yeah. his Twitter feed. <laughs> On that note. Uh, okay, so, um, Boss, where do people find you if they want to follow you online? If you want to see me now harassing Robbie Williams, I guess, on Twitter, <laughs> it is uh, dumbly underscore chambers. It's dumbly like Emily, but with a D-U in the beginning. Is that because you're dumb or... Oh, my God. I don't know if we want to cut this from the show. It's because one time I was supposed to hang out with uh, friends and we were planning to get really drunk. And mm -hmm. my friend's husband said, you should spend the night. I, we, I could cook breakfast in the morning because dummy bought eggs and gestured at his wife because she had apparently gotten eggs when she didn't need to. And mm -hmm. I laughed my ass off so hard for so long that I became <laughs> dummy and then that eventually morphed into dummy. I love Got it. it. Mm -hmm. That's great. 
Coach, where can people find you? At OG Bishop on Twitter uh, and BK2LA, BK, the letter 2LA on Instagram. So uh, let's connect. Let's connect. Um, <laughs> like- I, I see you like, I see you with two finger guns and like a, you know, Isaac on the love book kind of smile. <laughs> on let's connect. So much that Coach Bishops is reach out and form a human connection with me. And I'm like, you could watch me harassing somebody else that you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Come to Dumbly Chambers where I will block you. That is uh, exactly. So true. So true. You can find me uh, on Twitter at Lord Castleton. Um, thank you to everyone who um, who has made it this far. I say again, if you have, if you're still with us. Um, therapy is an option. It's true. So <laughs> just, just out there. Um, uh, if you, if you like what you've heard, please like and subscribe and catch us next week when we are going to talk, give more foreshadowing about later episodes. And until then, we are all Richmond till we die. Um, we'll see you next week. The TedCast is a joint venture between Pajiba and the Antagonist. Visit us at pajiba.com and antagonistblog.com.